Oi, oi, streamers. Welcome to Crossing Streams, episode 13. Matt, welcome to lucky number 13. Exactly. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Crossing Streams. I, uh, when I told Jesse my idea for this one, all I told him was it was inspired by Tabletop. Oh, yes. He took a couple of feeble guesses at <laughs> figuring it out and came up empty on all accounts. So I'm going to say it and I'm going to see if he can figure it out. So this one is AKA Lord Brockstream, which yeah. is a reference to Lord Brocktree, the 13th novel in the Brian Jacques Redwall fantasy series. Wow. Is that Mice and Mystics? You That's to- Mice and Mystics. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I watched that episode. I thought, there's like 30 Redwall books. I'm certain I haven't run out of these yet. Uh, Did you get so- to the part where he kills his wife? That was great. <laughs> With this horrible dice rolling. By the way, there's a Oh, super- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's a there's a 35 minute long supercut video. I'm not making this up of Will Wheaton dice rolling on, on all the shows where he rolls <laughs> dice and when he's on the Critical Role show, just rolling shit over and over and over again. It's like, have you ever seen the the Big Lebowski fuck um, montage? No, but I can imagine what it is. Where it's just hit, every time him and Walter say fuck, just back to back yep. to back to back to back. Well, it's, it's this is basically that, but with dice rolling and Will Wheaton. I imagine it's something like the montage of Nicolas Cage going crazy for 10 minutes or Sean Bean dying for 15 minutes. Right, 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 exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, okay, that was a really good one. Well, I knew it wasn't, I mean, I didn't know. I thought it would not be as easy as episode 13 for blank season. No, but no, 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 it was not, nothing yeah. that simple. But, but stream, Streams Park would have been pretty good. I would have given you that one. Sure. And we may still wind up going with a series. I've figured out a bunch coming, but at some point we may have to start using episode titles because very little continues past 30 or 40 novels or whatever. Yeah, and I keep forgetting that I'm like two months ahead of the (laughs) internet watching uh, Tabletop on on ProjectAlpha.com. You hadn't even seen that episode. but um, Also true. Yeah, so, okay, so there you go, episode 13, always happy for a tabletop uh, reference. Uh, kind of a slow day, uh, slow week in, uh, in TV this week, Maddie. A little bit, yeah. We uh, did not have nearly as many interesting shows that I was just dying to come talk about. Uh, uh, Into the Badlands was kind of eh. The Expanse, which we will be talking about, was kind of eh. Uh, we may be talking some iZombie, because that premiered two weeks ago, and I have thoughts on that, but Jesse doesn't watch that, so... We're going to start with, uh, you want to talk some movie trailers? Yeah, let's start with some movie trailers. So we'll go in chronological order. There are two big ones, both from Disney uh, this week. Um, the first is Thor Ragnarok, and I went on for about a half hour straight about how much I loved it and how excited I am for the movie. So you guys can check out that Bizzlecast quickie. That's not such a quickie, uh, but it's quicker than most <laughs> of my podcasts, so in that sense, it's a quickie. Um, but it's not just about the trailer itself, but just I've had high expectations for this even before Taika Waititi, and then they got Taika Waititi. It's like, you know, I, I've been trying to hold it in because I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. And the trailer seems to confirm so far that maybe it is going to work, so. Uh, Matt, the, the Bizzle guys has already heard from me a lot about this. What were your thoughts about the Thor Ragnarok teaser trailer? I, uh, first of all, I have to give it up to the people who made that trailer because if the yeah. whole point of a trailer is to start a conversation about a movie and get people to want to see it, mission accomplished. This yeah. was one of the most engrossing trailers I have seen in a really long time. I, I just, it was so cool, it was so well done. 
it had that perfect beat where you know it's serious 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 and then thor just goes yes he's my friend i know him from work so in an almost guardians like moment of self-parody taika waititi drops the joke the watch very accurately suggested this movie seems to be giving thor the guardians treatment of not being quite so stuck in its own mythology and just sending him on an adventure in space i'm totally down for that uh I like that Jeff Goldblum doesn't seem to be doing an accent. He just seems to be wearing a little yeah. bit of blue face paint. And otherwise, he's just Jeff Goldblum as one of the, I don't know what the hell he is. Um, yeah, he's Benicio but, Del Toro's brother. He's the collector's oh, brother. Oh, is he? Okay. So yeah. I thought he was somehow related to him. He's. I know he's also looking for Infinity Stones or something. Ah, who cares? Yes. And it looks super fun. It, I stand by my opinion from last week. It's probably going to go down as the best Thor movie to date. Uh, Kate Blanchett looks awesome as Hela, um, or Hela. I don't know how it's pronounced. Hela. Uh, yeah, that would. I, yeah, I mean, we we talked about this very early on in your your uh, existence within the Bizzle cast. I said even before Taika Waititi, I thought the third would be the best, almost by default. Right. Um, and just because Thor's character has slowly been getting built up. And mm-hmm. such a, it's a difficult character to handle. And as I said to my dad, you know, Chris Evans is basically playing himself. Robert Downey Jr. is basically playing himself. I don't think Chris right. Hemsworth's playing himself, you know, and he's playing this really bizarre cosmic god from a comic book. So high level of difficulty, much higher than I think people give him credit for. But once I go why TT got added, I immediately said on the podcast that, that this would be the best by far. And mm-hmm. I would say I so I watched a lot of reactions to the trailer because of how much of a sensation it was. It's not something right. I normally do, but I was like, okay, how many can I watch in a row where people lose their mind over it? And it was like <laughs> twenty in a row before yeah. I found one where they were actually pretty excited, but you could just tell their personalities weren't like the kind of personalities be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Right. You know what I mean? So like, Me. I literally couldn't find anyone who did not like the trailer. Yeah. And um, I would say 50% even made the Guardians comparison. Um, I think 90% of those 50% were favorable in the, within that comparison. Yeah. But the thing that nobody said, and you know they do these short trailers, is A, Chris Hemsworth publicly said after he saw Guardians of the Galaxy that he wanted his next movie to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, he said oh, it. He? Yes. You could look that it up. That I didn't up. know. Yeah. He publicly said... The last movie was too serious. I want Guardians of the Galaxy. But the other thing nobody said is that Thor was doing it in the comics before Guardians was by a long shot. I mean, oh, if, totally. if you want colorful co- uh, cosmic stuff, go back to the early 60s with Jack Kirby and then Walter Simonson in the 80s with Thor. So Guardians owes a lot to the Thor comic book. So I don't feel like it's just a straight up ripping off. Not to mention aesthetically there are some differences, I think. Um, right. But even if it was just ripping off the Guardians aesthetic, you know, Guardians owes a lot to the Thor comic books, I think. I, I don't know if you if you agree with that statement or have, uh, have an opinion on it. I don't think it's copying the aesthetic. I think it's taking its, its tone uh, from the Guardians movie. I think the tone of this film is going to be very, very similar to what Guardians did. And I mean that, you know, as a compliment. I think sure. the character, you know... Th- the premise is a little bit silly. It's a god who is also an alien, sort of. So it is inherently a cosmic character, so why not have him skipping off all over the universe, getting into gladiatorial fights and whatnot? Um, 
I think the over-reliance on Asgard stuff worked was to the movies worked against the first two Thor movies. Cause I really don't care about the fate of Asgard. So let's just have Thor skipping around, having fun. Yeah. And as I said with my dad, you know, reason I do like the first movie is the middle part where he's on earth, where he's a fish out right. of water. And they, they're clearly starting this movie by destroying the hammer and Asgard that he's going to be a fish out of water again, but more like Peter Quill in a cosmic context, which is way cooler. Yep. Which is how it is in the comic books, you know? I mean, this is such the natural course to take. And the people pointed out that there were a lot of, like, Kirby references, even in the trailer. I mm-hmm. have to think Taika Waititi was either a fan beforehand or, um, you know, has become a fan. But considering how steeped he is in various genre, uh, you know, fiction and media, my guess is Taika Waititi, who's Jewish on his mother's side, by the way, indigenous really? on his father's side. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Score another one for the good guys. Um, or at least the Jewish the guys. Kiwi Jews. Yeah, the Kiwi Jews. Uh, but I, I think he probably grew up a comic book nerd, you know? You don't... I mean... Like Wes Anderson, for example, we know is a huge comic book fan. Although he said right. Wes Anderson has said he doesn't want to do a comic book movie, but um, yeah, I, I I'm so glad they went that way. It was like so obvious, but I was just so I was so happy watching it that first time mm-hmm. that it was until like the second or third time I'm like, oh, that's kind of a Guardian shot. Um, but there was also you know there was some Star Wars flying stuff and there was some Matrixy yeah. kind of slow mo action stuff as well. Um, right. It's kind of a shared universe. I do think it does look very different from the new Guardians movie, which looks so colorful that it's going to make Avatar look like black and white. It seems like. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the new the new Guardians movie looks like the first ten minutes of Into Darkness. If that had been the whole movie, you know, running mm-hmm. through that bizarre forest with all the bright colors. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very excited for it. I think. Um, you know, I, 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 and just as a quick comparison, then we'll jump to the other uh, big release this week, Star Wars. Um, I like the first major Guardians trailer. I wasn't a big fan of the one they released like a month ago or so. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like they were like, oh, we don't want to give any way more any more material, which I'm totally cool with. So right. that, if that's the, the rationale that they just want to keep pe- building people's interest but not give anything away, as opposed to Spider-Man, who, you know, the most recent Spider-Man trailer a couple weeks ago, Half the people that saw it think it love it and think it's brilliant. Half like feel like they had the movie ruined for them. Um, I don't know if you've I don't seen even it. Rem- I think I did see it, but I don't remember it. I remember the poster because the poster came out the same day the Justice League poster came out, and the Justice League poster looks terrible. And like from an artistic standard, I was reading people who studied like media arts, and they said. This poster naturally draws your eye to nothing. It's got all this weird open space that doesn't send the right message. It's a badly designed poster. And then the Spider-Man poster where he's on the sign and he's popping out and your eye naturally is drawn to him. They're like, this is how you make a superhero movie poster. Um, So I don't remember the trailer like at all, which is probably not good. Um, It it looks like every Marvel Spider-Man movie, you know? I mean, and... It's, they seem to be showing a lot of confrontations with the Vulture, a lot of interactions with Robert Downey right. Jr., more, more than just teasing it. And, you know, for a movie that's openly celebrating the fact that Spider-Man's back where it belongs, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. and people are... It, it was already a billion-dollar movie. Like, why why throw out all that footage? Are they really worried about an enthusiasm cap with Spider-Man, with kids? You know, like, it's on the PG side of PG-13 for kids in the middle of the summer. I, I don't know what they're thinking. 
well, what I think it might be is in the same way that um, with the uh, what am I trying to say with Captain Marvel, I, I chewed out the film for making a big deal out of all the male people like the established stars it already had cast before they announced who was going to actually play Captain Marvel. This strikes me as the same thing of we have these much bigger bankable stars in Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. So we're going to really push the fact that they're in this movie. Now, that doesn't mean that Holland isn't going to be good in the role, but it means that they think the bigger draw, at least right now, might not be him. But who cares? I mean, the draw it wasn't Tobey Maguire that was the draw to the original Spider-Man movies. It was Spider-Man, I think. I mean, he's the most popular Marvel character by far. It's not even close. I mean, Wolverine has gotten closer, but in terms right. of sales for the last 40 years, it's Spider-Man, you know, and, and, and the movies themselves. I mean, the, the amount of money that the Spider-Man 3 and the Amazing Spider-Man's made being not great movies, you know, mm-hmm. just, just proves that. Totally. Especially when you have two 30-year-old guys, neither of whom is fit to play the role, regardless of their, <laughs> regardless of their age. Not because of their acting ability. It's just not good casting. I mean, Andrew Garfield's been nominated for an Academy Award. Tobey Maguire might have been nominated back in the day, actually. I mean, these guys are good actors. Might have been for Wonder Boys or one of those movies yeah. like way when he was younger. Yeah. Uh, so, and anyways, point being, I, 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 I mean... Look, let's look back on the last couple of years. Civil War, they gave up way too much away in the trailer. Age oh, yeah. of Ultron, way too much away in the trailer. Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, no one knew what to, to expect, so that you can't right. really compare that. But like, it hasn't been since... Actually, if you go back and watch the Winter Soldier trailer... Mm-hmm. They give away way too much in the Winter Soldier trailer. And I actually saw that was the movie that got me back into comic books and comic book movies was Winter Soldier. So I wasn't even paying attention to the trailers, thank God. So that was all new to me. But like if you watch the Winter Soldier like main trailer, you see you see the, the buck multiple bucky reveals, you see the helicarriers crashing at the end. I mean right. they really show everything. And dude, I gotta say, man. I watched and, and dissected the two Rogue One tra- uh, trailers, and I still mm-hmm. felt like I had a completely new experience when I went into the movie. And this might be a bridge to the trailer of, uh, for The Last Jedi, uh, Episode Eight that was out, where they showed us literally nothing that, that's yeah. decipherable. And I just have to wonder again, does Ka- Kathleen Kennedy at Star Wars slash Lucasfilm seem to maybe know what she's doing a little bit more than Kevin Feige at Marvel, or are they just printing money at Marvel so they don't want to take risks, and Star Wars is such a special property that they don't sort of have to, if that makes sense? I, I think, considering both are owned by Disney, and Disney is not what I would call a super risk-taking company, I think... Everything that happens with these trailers is very calculated. It doesn't mean they're not very enjoyable, but I think they made their Thor trailer the way they did because Disney thought, okay, this is going to drum up the most interest in this. We are going to reveal this much in this first teaser. And there's this difference between teasers and trailers uh, with uh, The Last Jedi because we think that we pretty much know the effect is going to be this. You know, I am would not be shocked if in three months or maybe even, say, with the debut of the Guardians 2, you know, the trailers that run before it, there isn't a much more explanatory, much bigger, better, revelatory trailer for uh, The Last Jedi. I mean, Disney's got some big movies still coming, mm-hmm. and it may be saving the, the real 
trailer for what uh, The Last Jedi is going to be about for that. I mean, look, I know you didn't love Rogue One. I was disappointed you only saw it once in the theater just because I think you're going to regret that down the road. Maybe not, but... I doubt it. You have to admit, they didn't spoil a whole lot compared to some of these Marvel movies, I didn't think, in in Rogue One through the trailers. In fact, people complained that there was stuff in the trailers that they cut out, to which I say, good, throw me some red herrings or give me some extra footage that are deleted scenes. That's just more footage. I don't need to see exactly what's going to be in the movie. But then again, I'm not a literalist like many of these nerds out there. And so, uh, you know, I guess I see where they're coming from. But I love that they threw us off by showing Daisy Ridley walking out to fight a TIE fighter hand-to-hand, which made no sense. And then it wasn't that what it was in the movie, which made way more sense. Not people, people Daisy compl- Ridley. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Um, uh, English white girl. <laughs> blank um uh jen urso played by felicity jones um yep. but even in the force awakens the only sort of late scene that they showed us was john boyega with the lightsaber in the forest but you didn't know how that was going to unfold and just right. the mystery around whether finn was going to be force a force user or not um and for example you knew what was going to go on when Kylo Ren was trying to pick up the lightsaber at the end in the forest. You knew exactly mm-hmm. where that lightsaber was going. It was going to Daisy Ridley. If you didn't pick right. up on that, then you haven't watched enough movies, let alone Star Wars movies. But it was it was so great because of the emotional buildup of the whole movie. So it doesn't matter if they spoil it or not, or if they telegraph it, because you earn it through the through the performances. And true, but even if it wasn't in the trailers, Rogue One, we knew what the plot of Rogue One was. They announced what it was when they announced the movie. It's going to be the plot of getting the plant Death Star plans to the rebels that we knew from the beginning what the movie was going to be about. And the trailers did give a number of things away, including that the central dynamic was going to be this girl's relationship with her father. So I would not say agree that Rogue One avoided spoilers. I think Rogue One gave a lot away. We just already knew it, so we weren't mad. We didn't know what The Force Awakens was going to be about, so people who were frustrated that it gave too much of the plot away... I know what you're saying, but Rogue One was, quote-unquote, partially spoiled as soon as it was announced, because we knew what happened. Right, exactly. Dude, I listen to tons of Star Wars podcasts and watch nerd stuff online. I am one of the only people that outright predicted that everyone was going to die, and wasn't surprised. Most people thought they were going to find a way, because it was Disney, which would make sense, right. to save Jin, and, or maybe Jin and Cassian. Or like even K2, like someone, right? Right. But I predicted on this podcast numerous times that they were going to kill everybody. And it was only it was just about whether they had the balls in the last minute to, to go through with it. And they, they didn't spoil that. They didn't spoil the scope of the final space battle at all, or the scope of the ground battle. You knew it was going to be big, but the space battle in particular was way bigger than I thought. They didn't spoil the Vader stuff at the end. They didn't spoil the Princess Leia reveal at the end. Uh, right. I don't know. I, I thought they did a very, very good job uh, protecting um, some of the key parts of that. Whereas Civil War, I'm going every 10 minutes... When it's like, you know, I mean, they showed the Bucky Iron Man cat fight at the end and like the cool shots and everything, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just don't know. Like, did they think they weren't going to make a billion dollars if they don't give that much away? Uh, do you see where I'm going here? I, 
I have a hunch that within this world, trailers have become entirely their own thing. And there is something about trailer exclusivity that it's like they don't care about maintaining like plot secrets anymore, that they really don't give a shit if people know what's going to happen because, you know, they're going to pay a bunch of money to go to Comic-Con to find out six months in advance anyway. And they're going to steal that trailer and bootleg it so they can say they were the first person to see that. And it's like trailer culture is separate from movie going culture. And I mean, I, I, I don't really know. I've said before, I, people shouldn't watch trailers. Trailers just want you to see the movie the way the studio wants you to. So find out something's going to exist, maybe do a little research on it, but then try to keep yourself off of the media related to it as much as you can. And you will have fewer expectations that can be disappointed and you will know less going in and you'll probably have a more enjoyable experience. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll I'll just try to make this point one last time, and then I'll let you talk about the Last Jedi trailer if you want. Right. Because um, I don't have anything to say, having seen it twice. I not much happens in it, um, and yeah. I've done so much theorizing on various podcasts over the last year about what's going to happen. Um, you know, if, there's actually more revealing stuff in the Star Wars Rebels uh, season four finale trailer they showed at Celebration as well, where mm-hmm. it seems like my boy Adam Dietz may end up being right about the Ezra Bridger Sabine Wren connection of being Ray's parents. They're hinting it very strongly in the final season of Rebels, um, in the way they talk about a boy and a girl and a child and the stuff like this. Um, but I, I would say that, it, and let me also just say, you know, with Thor this might be obvious, they had to build up some enthusiasm because, you know, there's a bunch of movies ahead of Thor in terms of overall enthusiasm before now, including maybe among the mainstream population in Justice League, um, at least before the Justice League trailer came out and people saw how shitty it's going to be. They had right. to build some enthusiasm for Thor. They don't have to do it to Star Wars. What I'm saying is whoever cuts the trailers... I think that JJ um, or JJ's people and uh, Gareth Edwards, Gareth Edwards people with Rogue One, they intentionally misdirected us at a couple points in the trailers for the Star Wars movies that I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Like that, that you know, like you you can have it both ways. You can really give a little too much, but if you just misdirect the audience on a couple key character arcs or, or plot arcs, it makes all the difference. Whereas when you watch the Marvel trailers, it's exactly how it unfolds in the movie. It's not reframed. It's, you know what I mean? Like it's not, um, uh, you, you know, does that make sense? Like I, I, I they, it's just, yeah, they, they, they still seem to be insecure a little bit and I'm not really sure why that is, but maybe Thor. I don't will be, think it's insecurity. I think it's, they don't care. I, yeah. I think they do not care about giving away the plot order. And it does seem like, yeah, this trailer probably told you, the order of the events of this film. Yeah. Thor is going to go to Asgard. Hela is going to be there. She is going to destroy Mjolnir, wreck everything, although yeah. maybe not permanently. Thor is going to get exiled, taken to this other planet where he is going to meet Jeff Goldblum, fight the Hulk for a while, and then I would assume they're going to team up to get off the planet, yeah. go back to Asgard, and probably rebuild his hammer and save Asgard. So I think this might be the new model. Maybe an infinity stone is going to show up. I mean, so I don't think it's insecurity, although I will say people, it's been a while since Thor has been on screen, unless you count the stinger at the end of Dr. Strange. So maybe this movie also felt like it had to 
give a little bit more away immediately just to remind everybody that Thor is a character. You know, it's been – when was Ultron? It was three years ago now, I think. That's a great point, and they nailed it because he will have gone the longest duration – both right. between films that he's in and his solo film, it will be four full years, but between actually more, slightly more than four years between Thor: The Dark World and Thor: Ragnarok. Thor: The Dark mm-hmm. World came out, I believe, November fourth, twenty thirteen, and you had, um, you know, one of the Hobbit Ultron movies. was twenty thirteen, uh, was twenty fifteen. I was 15. wrong about that, but yes, still. So it will have been know, two and a half years since he's been in a film, if you don't count Doctor Strange. Uh, uh, right, uh, Stinger at the end. So it'll be two and a half years since his last uh, f- film appearance at all in four. And they're making these hilarious, you know, videos with his roommate Daryl in Australia online, like what, where he's been, what's he's been up to, why wasn't he in Civil right. War? Like he's having a great time with it, man. And I don't know if you checked out my my conversation with my dad, but between Taika Waititi and the fact that Hemsworth is the youngest of the all the Avengers and he's just hitting his stride, I could see Thor, this Thor going on, if this movie does well, a little bit longer than Cap or Iron Man, whose stories seem to be coming to a natural end. Whereas Thor, if this is as cosmic and cool as, as we want it to be, as it seems it might, don't you agree that, that, that there's some more movies there with Hemsworth and with that universe? Especially, by the way, if and when they bridge Guardians, which I think is for sure happening at the end of Thor. Well, I... See, that's that's what the big hang-up for Marvel is going to be, is they are moving forward conceivably in your world, going to have two cosmic franchises. They are going to have Thor, and they are going to have Guardians, and maybe Captain Marvel, if that's the direction they and take Doctor that Strange. character. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and Doctor Strange kind of. Although you almost have to make Captain Marvel the the cosmic Captain Marvel now. And I my prediction right I'm now. I'm not sure I agree with that. Is I that Brie Larson is going to show up? Con, but Brie Larson is going to show up either in the end of Thor or in a Stinger mid credit Stinger. We're going to see Brie Larson and Captain Marvel. Book it, people. I haven't heard anything, but I know how Marvel operates. I think it's a pretty likely occurrence. I'm hoping for it. I'm praying for it. There might be a reference to her name, maybe, but her solo movie isn't coming out until after Avengers Infinite War, so they could just as easily not introduce her until then. Um, yeah, but she needs to be a major player in Infinity War, and so if you can give her yeah. any screen time with the big guys before that, especially being a tiny little woman, you know, with all these big dudes, I think would be helpful. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they they introduced Spider Man and Black Panther before they got their solo movies. I don't know if you got to do it two movies in advance, though. I. But my point is, if you have Thor and you are increasing, and you have Guardians, and you are increasingly making Thor part of you know, tonally very similar to Guardians, what do you need the two of them for? Now, maybe they could do a team-up movie, which I think would be a hell of a lot of fun, but I don't know if they necessarily want to keep two and technically a third cosmic franchise in Doctor Stranger around. I I think they would rather have one group in space and everybody else on Earth so that it doesn't get too complicated. The reason you can have Guardians and Thor coexist in their own franchises for years to come is because the 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 backgrounds of the characters and the setup of of those two sub universes and the large universe is so 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 different. And Thor is still going to be a god, you know, and still ruling over a bunch of realms. You know, Guardians are it, it's a space opera. They're except a bunch never, of pirates. He doesn't right, except he doesn't seem to rule. Most of it is about rejecting rule, and this is just going to be. Go off and have an adventure. 
with the brother of the character who was first introduced in a Thor movie and then showed up in a Guardians movie. There is a ton of natural crossover between these two franchises already, Mm -hmm. and I worry you'll reach a point where they're indistinguishable from each other, and I don't think that's what Marvel wants. Well, if you've read any Guardians comics or any Thor comics, that's never yeah, been but, a problem. And yeah, but I, I Guardians don't know. the movie yeah. is barely based off of a Guardians comic. I mean, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but that's that why was more I, or right. less a a, rec- a new con- conceptualization of who the Guardians of the Galaxy right. were, or maybe it was right. based off well, of and that's and that's why I'm not five years. And that's why I'm trying to frame this as not just Thor coming to Guardians, but Thor coming to his natural home in a colorful cosmic universe that has similarities to Guardians. I mean, that's what the comic books look like. I mean, there are specifically some very dark Thor comics that are more like medieval Shakespearean, like we saw in the first two films. But most of them, the famous runs um, with Kirby and Simonson, very, very colorful. I right. just think the I just think the interplay could be great. I mean, look, none of these actors can do it forever. Um, I think actually Thor has a better chance than Guardians long term because, um, you know, as we've seen with Wolverine, one single compelling character, especially one you can make solo movies on a slightly lower budget with and still make money, is more sustainable. Guardians very difficult. There's a lot of big names in the Guardians movie. You know, I mean, Chris Pratt wasn't a big name before, you know, but he is now. Zoe's always been a big name. You know, and then you start adding guys like Kurt Russell and stuff. You know, it's a, it's. It, I mean, Thor, they're doing the star treatment too with Kate Blanchett and, and everyone else. But um, I just think it's harder to keep a team together. Although I guess with two of the five are um, uh, are, are CGI, it makes it easier. Um, okay, but we don't have much to say about Star Wars. But I would like to talk about Guardians while we're talking film, and we don't have a ton of great TV topics this week, so we must well talk about movies because this is when sure. we start learning a lot about movies coming out. So it's also what, worth noting, though, yes. that Guardians of the Galaxy, of it and the th- two Thor solo movies, it yes. had the biggest budget, but not by that much, and it no. grossed better than either of the Thor movies. Yep. So while I think this Thor, the the Thor Ragnarok is going to gross very well, I have no idea how it's going to compare with Guardians 2. Marvel is going to look at those numbers, too, and if they have to make a choice between two space franchises i think they'll probably go with the one that's the most profitable because they're a they're a movie studio they're not sure you know an art they're an artistic whatever they're not starving artists they want to make money that's why they make these i mean look thor 2 being maybe the worst other than iron man 2 of all the marvel movies or the incredible hulk Right, with a, with a very publicly unhappy Natalie Portman situation, with bad publicity, right. a bad movie, yep. horrible villain, looked like shit, they changed directors, mm-hmm. um, and people talk about Thor not fitting in and being the weird one, and blah, 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 blah. That movie still made $650 million. Yeah. So while Guardians making 780 or whatever it was is a huge surprise, or at least was a huge surprise, when you look back historically, and that's easy to look back and say, oh yeah, the Guardians was always going to work, but you look back historically, the fact that Dark World made 650 is pretty impressive. Especially but again, I think yeah. that's, I mean, if there's a reason Marvel is a little skittish about Thor, it's because of that, is because Thor as a solo franchise has one of the worst movies and a movie that is average, maybe a lot of people think Thor, the first Thor is on the bad side. No, you people are very th- divided. I'm not alone on okay. this. Trust me, I watched tons of fan reactions to the Thor video. Most most people were, were Thor fans, and that's why they were doing it. Okay, you know, they it's in the my character. bottom third. It really is. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So the point is, 
they kind of again that's why this trailer had to do this is getting people excited about thor is not was maybe not as easy a task as we kind of think it is because a lot of people have had kind of mixed opinions about thor in these movies at least as far as box office goes or critical reception I think we just disagree as to the reason for that. I just don't think it's the character. People love Chris Hemsworth, guys and girls. I think it's just that the sure. first two movies weren't great. Yes. But, you know, dude, a lot of people don't love the first Cat movie, you know? Yeah. I happen to really like the first Cat movie, but if he didn't have Winter Soldier, we'd be having a completely different debate right now. Yeah, definitely. And I, you can look back at, you know, in one of our earliest conversations, I think it was with you. Maybe I was talking with someone else about Marvel stuff. I said, this was maybe a year and a half ago. I said, or a year ago, when, when, all, is said and st- when all is said and done, people are going to say Iron Man 1 was the best, Cap 2 was the best, and Thor 3 was the best. I said those exact words. And, yeah. you know, I think maybe that's going to turn out to be right. A- absolutely. You know, and the fact that Civil War slightly underperformed and that Thor is maybe going to overperform based on previous expectations, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. I mean, you can't follow up a great movie with another great movie all the time, but it's, you know, if you're able to follow up Dark World with a great movie, then, you know, then the sky's the limit. I, I agree with that. I would also say I don't really think Captain America's Civil War underperformed. It made over a billion dollars. I think Iron Man 3 overperformed i think yes. that did much better than anybody expected right and that was the first movie after the avengers too right i mean it, civil war made 1.15 billion that blew the other cap movie grosses out of the out of the water right i think nobody th- re- th- thought iron man 3 was going to wind up doing 1.2 billion i don't think iron man 3 is that good i think yeah. it's only looks better because iron man 2 was so lousy yeah. Otherwise, it's it's just fine. Um, I, I'm just, and I'm so just saying, it's the bigger surprise, yeah. right? I'm just saying, Civil War was basically an Avengers movie. Yes. An Avengers movie typically make a billion and a half dollars, and it didn't do that, which still made a lot of money, which is great. Right. What I'm saying is, Thor: The Dark World, less than six months before the Winter Soldier, which is one of the best genre movies, period, that's ever been made. Right, that movie made just over seven hundred million. So Thor: The Fucking Dark World almost outperformed Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So what I'm just saying is, I think Thor has been just an underused character that has high value, whereas Cap Maybe. they've maxed to the extreme. Captain America. I love Chris Evans. You know that. I love Captain America, but I think they've maxed it out at the extreme. And Guardians made them realize that doing a cosmic vision with other properties, including Thor, Doctor Strange, maybe Captain Marvel, maybe other ones, is kind of cool, you know? And they do space stuff really well, you know, when you look at, when you look at Star Wars. That'll be the other major problem. Um, mm-hmm. This will actually be an interesting question, man. Can I ask you a two-part question about Guardians? Sure. One, which is, you know, just your general kind of expectations. They don't have to be anything specific uh, for the new Guardians movie. It doesn't have to be comparative. Whatever you want. Just general, general thoughts, expectations. But also... At Disney, I mean, look, clearly the crew of, you know, the Milano is much different than like Ray and Finn and Poe, right? So tonally, it's completely different. The JJ humor, very different from the gun humor. I'm still actually more privy, uh, not more privy, I'm more um, biased towards the JJ Abrams humor uh, just because it's a little bit more like Joss's humor. 
you know, I, it, the 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 uh, gun stuff doesn't always hit for me, although it's always very clever. Um, and I think that you know this new movie can do great because people love his different sense of humor, James Gunn. That is, and they're gonna get a ton of it here. But my, so so the question is general thoughts, but also how do you keep basically juggling two monster space opera franchises at the same time in Guardians and Star Wars? Well, I think I, I think Guardians of the Galaxy two is going to be very very good. I don't think it is going to ultimately be quite as good as Guardians of the Galaxy, just because the shock of that movie being as good as it was. I don't know how you recreate that. So I think it's going to be very well acted. I think it's going to be very funny. I think it's going to have some great lines. I think the music is going to be really cool. I am looking forward to seeing Kurt Russell as a person. And then I think he's going to turn into a planet because he is supposed to be playing ego, the living planet. So dude, I Kurt think Russell smiles in that one tiny cameo at the end of the second trailer. Right. He smiles more in that cameo than all of his movies in the eighties and nineties combined. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be really good. I just, it may even on some like objective analytic level wind up being better than guardians. No, 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 no. My hunch is I don't see how I have a better movie going experience watching guardians two than I did with guardians one in the same way. I don't know how De- Deadpool bests what it did, even if it brings the same cast back and gets a guy who clearly knows how to direct action, uh, you know, the John Wick guy who's making the next movie. It could be better made, but I don't know how you recreate or better the experience of watching the first one for the first time. Um, I mean, what do Avengers Age of Ultron and Captain America Civil War have in common? Well, they're follow-ups in the same franchise to movies that are considered among the greatest, if not the greatest, in the history of comic book movies. How do you follow right. that up? I mean, they literally threw everything in the kitchen sink in Civil War at us. They threw Black right. Panther, they threw Spider-Man, they threw the big battle, they threw, you know, a, 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 tons of star power. I mean, they really threw everything at us, and it still didn't end up being an Avengers movie somehow. Now, Guardians is benefiting from sort of starting its own mini Guardians franchise, which is great. So I, I think this is going to definitely make over a billion dollars. But I, yeah, like Deadpool 2, just from a humor standpoint, I mean, dude, some stand-up comics go five years between like major new you know, material that they do. It's really right. hard to come up with funny shit. It's the hardest thing to do in Absolutely. all of show business is to make people laugh. It's why it's so hard to make sequels to comedies. Now, what I would say is point. Um, what – what the thing that that uh, I'm sorry, the thing that Winter Soldier did so well is it didn't even try to recreate Cap One. It took Captain America in a totally different movie. It took a World War II movie and then it made it into a, a spy 21st century techno thriller kind of James. Cl- uh, I'm sorry, John Clancy. Tom Clancy. Am I thinking Tom Clancy? Jesus. Uh, John Clancy, Tom Clancy, who cares? Whatever the hell his name is. I've never read any of his books. Tom oh, he's Clancy. a guy I could look to for AKAs. Anyway. Uh, so oh, and turned, his video games. He might have more video games to his name now than books even, which is insane. Go ahead. Possibly. So they took a World War II movie, and then they turned it into a Tom Clancy book, mo- turned into a movie, and then they did Civil War, which was sort of a big action set piece that felt like a lot of things, including in terms of the plot narrative – very similar to Batman v Superman. I mean, in terms of sort of the order of events, it's a little troubling how closely connected they are 
in sort of their premises. Age of Ultron just tried to do what Avengers did. I don't think it, it did anything differently than what Avengers did, and so it ultimately fell short of that. Guardians looks like it's just doing what Guardians did last time, and I'm cool with not screwing with the thing that works, but then you aren't going to get that same shock of originality that the first one had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the only thing I'll say is I actually liked Guardians better on the second viewing than the first, because it, it threw me off on the first viewing a little bit, especially because sure. everyone was in love with it, and I it wasn't immediately apparent to me, you know, the level of love, and then I let it simmer, I went back and saw it again, and just absolutely loved it the second time, so... Maybe this is going to be one of those we all freak out after opening weekend that it's not a hundred percent, you know, brilliant, amazing. But then we, you know, you see it a second time and maybe like the first one that it just works better because Gunn's humor is really subtle. It's not Deadpool. Deadpool is penises against the camera, right? I mean, right. Deadpool's penises against the camera. The penis jokes in Guardians are much more subtle. <laughs> To the extent that, you know, that that Star-Lord can be subtle or whatever. (laughs) Um, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to make tons of uh, uh, money. Um, I think uh, I'm not happy that they went with the easy temptation to have Gamora-Star-Lord romance. Mm-hmm. I sort of predicted slash hope that that wasn't going to be the case after the I saw the first movie. Maybe it'll end up being a bit of a red herring and it like won't work out or whatever. But I just can't see Gamora's character being attracted to, to Peter Quill ultimately. And, yeah, I don't see it either. If it, it happens, it'll like feel fit. forced. Like when you see Zoe Saldana and Zach Quinto, you're like, yes, I'm in, hundred percent, amazing. And Zach Quinto's gay. That was one of the best. Uh, hetero uh, relationships we've ever seen in science fiction before. Maybe the best per- single movie performance was those two. Zoe generally has great chemistry with her castmates. Mark Ruffalo um, and the indie movie she was in, they were amazing together. Um, you Even know. in Avatar. I Avatar, think, yeah, she's totally it's just, it. you know, her, her and Sam Worthington as blue CGI cats. I bought it. But I, she was I, the I revelation. I the two of them together. She was the one who everyone was like, whoa, who was the chick in that movie? I remember that. Yeah. Because she wasn't really that well known. I mean, she was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but most people don't don't even remember that. Sam Worthington was pretty unknown too, but Jake Sully's character is pretty lackluster. I mean, he's just sort of the jarhead who becomes the, you know, Kevin Costner from Dances with Wolves. Uh, you know, Seldana's character felt a little bit more like she had sort of her own deal and she, I, I don't know. Well, this is the thing I never get is the, the one really cool part of Avatar that no one talks about is the brother sister thing. It's her brother, right? That turns out to be the, the evil king or whatever. What? No, that's, or just a guy. Sute is the one that she is. Who's the male that that go that she's friends with or whatever that goes bad? Yeah, his name is Sute. They're supposed to marry or whatever the Navi do to get married, but okay, basically it's not, it's not literally brother sister. But you know what I mean. The, a, no, a male, it's a female, romantic yeah. thing, sort of. Uh, you know, he is the next in line to become the tribal leader, and she is the next in line to become the Tzahik, the emo, the spiritual leader, the shaman. Right. Point is, that was a much more interesting relationship than anything going on with Sam Worthington, who was I, habitually I don't know uninteresting. If I agree with that. Sute was pretty boring of a character too. I, the characterization is not the gr- strong. Maybe I just I remember Avatar. so little I liked in that movie. I'm just try, I'm grasping for anything. Yeah, 
you don't have to like the dynamic between Sam Worthington and uh, Zoe Saldana, but I would be hard pressed to be convinced that her relationship with the okay, other okay. not anyways guys. off topic. I was trying to create an interesting topic out of Avatar, and you ruined it. You ruined it, By Matt. You ruined it. <laughs> but not just running with it to take you into different. But not that isn't mine. Isn't actually welcome. I'm just well, going to just, play. So just call me. Just call me an idiot. It, you know, just well, make, fu- like just make fun of me. I'm, I'm trying to disagree <laughs> calmly. I'll, I'll and, know. And actually convince you maybe to act. change your mind instead of put you on the defensive and insult you. Right, right, right. No, I, I am just, not the, the, the Breitbart of genre nerd podcasts. Yeah, this is what Avatar does. When it comes up in <laughs> any part of my life, it's always soul-sucking. You know? It's like I can't ever <laughs> work it in a positive situation because it's so, so, so fake. It's so so fake. Don't care. Uh, um, anyway, it'd be interesting. To, it'd be interesting to hold James Gunn's feet to the fire about his thoughts on Avatar. Actually, um, I to say sure. I mean, I think it, we, we guys like Whedon and J.J. Abrams probably don't like it, or maybe they enjoy it, but it's not something that, that would influence them, you know. But Gunn, yeah, I could see it. I mean, the new one looks so colorful. I wonder if it's going to be just such a smorgasbord of color that it's it's overwhelming. Yeah, um, I, I think all of these filmmakers probably can appreciate the technical mer- stuff that went into making Avatar because it was a, a a pretty big technical feat. It mm-hmm. took I think a decade to make the mm-hmm. you know the world is pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. The story is pretty bland and recycled and derivative. So I don't think anybody who watches a movie for that is really going to say, oh yeah, Avatar was the best oh, in this genre. We're still talking about Avatar. Okay, hard, hard push back you to the other direction. You brought it up! I know, <laughs> I know, it's my fault. I apologize. I screwed up. I screwed up. We're leaving right. Avatar. Fine. So I'm introducing a new segment. That's not really a new segment because we use the terms buy and sell all the time, you know, just okay. to talk about our feelings. So right. I'll, I'll lead off because this is something I wanted to do. This doesn't have to be a segment, but this could okay. be a segment. So, so I'm looking at Disney's offerings this year. Now, I don't know what the animated stuff is. Um, I did watch the jungle book finally on Netflix. I thought visually stunning. Um, and then I might just not remember jungle book, not having much substance originally. Cause I was like, there's nothing really happening in this movie. Other than an I don't angry think tiger, a whole lot happens in the Jungle Book. I yeah, the, the cartoon either. I, I think like people it. just remember the couple of songs. But no, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm watching this. I'm going. This is cool. This reminds me of the thing. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's it's pretty similar. Now he doesn't go to the village. They keep him away from civilization. And it, I think they give more of a uh, uh, pro nature anti civilization bent to it than Kipling probably intended. Because he wasn't the most progressive guy on the planet. No, he was very much of the take up the white man's burden era of Western thought. Winston Churchill, who, by the way, Winston Churchill famously lost his prime ministership as soon as World War II ended, essentially. Yep. But he got it back in the early 50s. This is what the first season of The Crown is all about, by the way. Okay. Well, do you know one of the reasons he got it back? Because uh, the king and future president of Botswana, who was very popular with the British church and the British public, and even some of the British royalty, for being good Christian citizens, essentially, mm-hmm. who were very politely asking for independence, right? the Tory power, uh, the Tory party who was in power, uh, was saying no. And Winston Churchill says, one of, he says, if I get elected, that's the first thing I do. 
And the first thing he did when he got elected was basically put the guy under house arrest in England and completely derail the whole thing for like 10 years. Okay, well. <laughs> um, he also gunned down Africans in the Sudan. But on to happier topics. Don't <laughs> always question your historical figures, people. Napoleon was not short. Look it up. He was actually That's above true. average for his time. I think he was 5'5 five, five or 5'6. Five, Anyways, point being... I, I'm looking at Disney's films this year. Okay. I'm definitely buying stock in Thor Ragnarok. I mean, I already had some stock. Sure, yeah. I had a portfolio, but I'm I'm calling my stockbroker right now, and I'm putting sure. some, some chips down. I'm buying stock on Last Jedi because it did nothing to dissuade me that it's going to be amazing, and it's Star Wars, and so yeah, I'm always buying make, Star Wars. It, it probably will make $2 billion, and if it don't make that, yeah. if it makes less than a billion and a half, I'd be yeah. completely floored. And so, just so you know, and just to clarify, if, unless I specify, when I say buy, it's some combination of financial, critical, and for me, personal success, if that makes right. sense. So I'm buying on Last Jedi because I love fucking Force Awakens. And as much as I love Rogue One, you know, it's the Jedi Skywalker shit that everyone wants to see for good reason. Yeah. So I, I can't wait. I love Kylo Ren. I think even the people who are so-so on Kylo are going to come around big time in this movie. I mean, remember, Darth Vader wasn't a cult figure until after Empire, to the level that he is now. Right. Because he didn't Um, get to do a whole lot in Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah. I mean, he's really just in that one scene where he fights Ben Obi-Wan, and it's not that good a sword fight. It's just them kind of swinging their swords, like, awkwardly at each other for a little while. And then he shows up at the end, and he chokes a guy. He's, you know, he doesn't really get to show how much of a badass he is until he beats the battle back. Yep. Yeah, but just the fact that you can tell, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's like the Wolverine when the Wolverine's not moving. It's like any second. And uh, we're going to get it. It's the middle movie. It's the Empire movie. They got Ryan Johnson for a reason. Um, I will say, by the way, bad Hayden Christensen attended his first ever Star Wars celebration and received a standing ovation. Thoughts? That's nice. I so I are they really going to boo a guy? I mean, nerds no. can be mean, but that would be such a dick move to invite a guy to this thing and then to give him shit. Come on, of course no, they were going to be I'm nice proud. to him. I'm proud of the nerds. And by the way, I think so, so, convention nerds are actually some of the smarter, more reasonable nerds out there. Uh, some are. There are also horror stories. I, I wouldn't hold, make hold any on. assumptions about anything. Um, now most of these horror stories tend to be involving how women are treated by men. So Hayden Christensen was not going to get that no matter what, probably. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just, you know, half of the nerds there are are covering the event now. There's so much nerd media. Um, I'm proud of, I'm proud of people for doing it. Honestly, I think it's a very nice gesture. Um, I've certainly hated on him plenty, but we've seen a lot of bad stuff in movies since then. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, the prequels are laughably bad most of the time and occasionally only like mediocre. But like it or not, this guy is one of the most important actors in the whole thing. And if you get him there, I think you got to applaud him anyway. Uh, Absolutely. and, And hopefully this sense of personal betrayal, I felt this with BVS. And I have kind of since started to think, why did I even feel that that way with that? 
if somebody makes a bad Star Wars movie, they're not attacking you personally. So if you meet somebody who is in a Star Wars movie, just say it's nice to meet you. You know, nobody made it to kick you in the face. They didn't make, you know, Attack of the Clones lousy to hurt you. So be gracious because why, why wouldn't you be? Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see what happened if Natalie Portman showed up. I'd like to think she would get a standing ovation. I'm, I'm not pretty sure confident she would. she would. Maybe. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, we don't have to dwell on this, but for whatever reason, blame has shifted away from Hayden Christensen over the years, um, which I think is fine. I think George Lucas is the one and only to blame, and that should be the the fact that he's never come forward and admitted it is, you know, I mean, they just moved past it. He sold it to someone else, and now it's cool again, so he doesn't have to say anything. Agreed. I think also based on what Carrie Fisher talking about Lucas, he's a pretty emotionless guy. He doesn't say much. He's just, that's sort of him. So he was there. He doesn't always show up. Anakin Skywalker is there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm buying stock on the Star Wars franchise. Uh, I am selling a little bit on Spider-Man just because... It's but starting you've never to look like other Spider-Man. Spider- no, 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 no. But I'm saying I was predicting this to beat Iron Man 2, or 3, I should say. I thought this could beat Iron Man 3. Now I I'm thinking it's it going to be that. in Civil War territory of more than, like around a billion dollars or whatever. Because honestly, it does look like every other Spider-Man movie, you know? And I'll let it lie at this. I mean, Spider-Man stories are always the same, and the, the, the villains are always really weird looking. Yeah, the biggest difference that I've seen so far is that the Amazing Spider-Man, the tone of the trailers, felt to me closer to what Zack Snyder's approach was, which is all of this is super serious, and we need to be serious all the time because this is all really serious. And Spider-Man is really serious, and this story about how his parents are involved is really serious, and this thing with Electro is really serious, and it got really old. This Spider-Man seems to be spider-man in the marvel tone of everything is kind of silly let's have some fun spider-man is one of the jokiest superheroes there is Mm -hmm. um so let's get it back to that so it's going to be like him staring at mary jane and then mary jane staring back at him and and his friend telling him you're a weirdo dude um so it seemed to be about recreating the tone uh, getting the tone right again Absolutely. And Tom Holland's very charming. Um, you know, I mean, RDJ, they're not showing any Marissa Tomei, which makes zero sense because it's agreed upon that she's a beautiful middle-aged lady uh, right. who's a great fucking actress and hilarious. So why are they hiding Marissa Tomei from us? Maybe that's what they're trying to get. Who knows? Get, get, the, get the dads, uh, you know, get the dads in for a little <laughs> Marissa Tomei. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just, I hope the kids enjoy it. But I think it's, it's a pretty safe bet. This will be my first marvel movie in a while that i will assuredly not see the first week uh probably i probably will be uh following that same approach yeah Yeah. i also just don't want to be in a theater full of little kids because i hate watching movies (laughs) with little kids unless they're kids movies um and this will be my final comment spider-man and i'm selling more on a personal level than anything else um I almost wish they would make a movie like that PG, right? Or just closer to PG, just make it a kids movie, like Yeah. Why not? I love no, kids I th- movies. Yeah. Good, I think that's ones. a good idea. And Marvel, well not Marvel, but Disney has made some PG 
uh, at superhero movies that have been okay. I think Big Hero 13 was, or Big Hero 6 was rated PG. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a rated G movie, but e- either way, Big Hero 6 was really good. I really, really liked it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know why they don't take a, you know, why they don't try to go a little bit younger and strip the violence down a little bit more so it doesn't feel like ultra violent, just no blood. You know, I don't know why you don't take a shot at that. Yeah, it's it's the it's the inverse or converse of Deadpool, right? Like, mm-hmm. just find that niche that like just is not being filled. You know, there's nothing like a like quote unquote hard PG right. movie that Spider Man could be with a little violence taken out or something. I agree. And uh, Big yeah. Hero Six was rated PG, by the way, yeah. and. There is a Spider-Man cartoon that is either still on the air or it was on the air up until only maybe a year ago yep. that was pretty well regarded. Yes. You know, they're it all was, quite good actually. All the Avengers cartoons are I've seen a couple episodes are, are yeah. decent. Yeah. The Spider-Man cartoon from the 90s it was cool at the time, but if you go back and watch it it is really whiny. I mean, it if, is dude, if super you, fucking whiny. If you take all your favorite um uh Will Wheaton guests Right, who who are in their thirties, forties, and fifties? They they mm-hmm. they voice at least half of the Avengers team. Just look it up on IMDb. You, like the, you would know all of them from Tabletop. It's crazy how many of the best uh, voice actors he gets. He had Ashley Bertrand, who did the voice on Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. uh, which was a much hyped and very 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 well received game with a well, he only had... female protagonist only. This is the best-selling female protagonist-only games ever in, in the modern age. It sold like 3 million copies in two weeks. Most games you could play male or female. This is only female perspective. He also um, had Phil Lamar on at least one episode of Tabletop, and Phil Lamar is an incredibly accomplished voice actor. Oh, yeah. Um, he said Tara, Tara, Pla- um, Tara Strong. Who's done, who's done like, um, everything. Uh, yeah. Tara Strong, yeah. Who's, yeah. Yeah, including a number of superhero characters for both yep. DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So you know, he had Tara Platt and Yuri Lewenthal, cute couple who they've done a bazillion voice, voices for yep. famous things. Um, he's had on Ashley Johnson, who was the waitress in The Avengers, and also Chrissy mm-hmm. in, in Growing Pains growing up. And she's a kid actor. She's been in a lot of stuff. She does a ton of voice work. She played Ellie in The Last of Us, which is widely regarded to be probably the best video game story and execution of all time. And hmm. if you just watch the, the cutscenes from Last of Us, it would be better than 95% of the genre TV. Um, a genre on TV. Like, no, no question. Like, it's that good. Um, and it's a zombie thing too, but it's all about, you know, the personal relationship. So anyways, yeah, he's, he's, he's hooked into that scene. He does, he does voice work. Um, I didn't really realize that the first time I I was watching tabletop, some of the episodes, but, uh, those people, some of them have three, four, 500 credits. Laura Bailey has like (laughs) 500 credits and she's like my age because she's been doing, she did like Dragon Ball Z in the nineties as a kid. Yep, and has been doing ten to twenty, you know, at least voice work stuff a year. I mean, that's a lucrative, lucrative business. And with more and more CGI characters in the movies, I mean, you know, uh, unbelievably, you know, Lupita Nyong'o is so beautiful, but she's been getting a lot of her paychecks doing voice work for Disney. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Um, I, 
I guess uh, just my final point would be uh, Guardians. I'm I'm pushing on. I'm not I'm not buying or selling. I'm pushing because I'm I'm, I'm holding out hope that it can be eighty to ninety percent of the original of hilarity. And if that's the case, I will be thrilled. I'll be thrilled. Cool. Okay, I guess we agree on that. Um, any other quick movie news to run through before we get to uh, a couple TV shows? No, I um, think let's switch to TV. Okay, so do you want to do the the action, like the network TV shows first, or do you want to do other stuff we've been watching? Um, I'll, I'll I'll leave it up to you. Uh, I don't know. You want to talk Expanse just as the one show that we've both sure. seen? I don't think we have a lot to say about it. I think both of no. us are kind of of the opinion, eh, it was all right. Uh, let's see what the finale is. Yeah, did they switch showrunners? Like, it feels like a different show. It's not that it's so bad, but it, there is a noticeable drop off. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll look into that real quick. But I, it's just the whole thing has just not been quite as good. Uh, I mean, the all right. So not there. the story's just not yeah. there. So the last couple of episodes have been directed by a new guy named Rob Lieberman, who did not direct any of the first half stuff um, and didn't direct anything up until then. Um, he did direct a couple of episodes in season one. But yeah, this is... And he did, uh, but not a whole lot before uh, in the early half of season two when it was like good. Um and then the writers are new, too. This episode was written by two guys named uh, Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby. Hmm. Um, so it may be that... Uh, I think this is the only episodes... All right, so they wrote the pilot, this pair. They wrote the first two episodes of one. They wrote Leviathan Wakes, which was great. Mm-hmm. And actually, they wrote Safe, the season one two premiere, which was pretty good, and Home which I believe is the crashes to earth one. So the writing doesn't seem to be the problem because mm-hmm. this pair, Fergus and Ospie has wrote some really good episodes. Yep. I think maybe this guy, Rob Lieberman is maybe not as strong a, a director because the last couple of episodes have just been sort of okay. Um, yeah. I mean, this is so easy to say, and this is, this would only be possible in a, in a world too, too perfect for our own, but they should have taken the world building from season one and just run with it in a completely different direction. I think, I mean, we'll see if the books, you know, pick up some more, but it, I mean, I, I think game of Thrones is maybe benefiting from having some liberation. I know Martin is still centrally involved or whatever. Um, but it feels like if, I don't know, the story seems to be pulling them down at the moment as opposed to picking them up, which is what it felt like earlier in the season. Yeah, a little bit. Um, even in a way that I'm not sure last episode felt like that. You know, when it ends with we're going on a hunt, you know, I said last week, I thought yeah. there was a lot of good energy in Where's last week's episode. They should have yeah, started with the hunt. Kinda, kinda that kind of weak, honestly. No, but seriously, put your writer's hat on. You end with a great line. The very first shot of the, of the next episode should be hunting. And would no, you know, just disorient us. Don't tell us what's going on. You know, like right. there, was, there was just a visceralness, not just to the violence, but to the, the movement and the action early on. That just doesn't seem to be there. I think it's also helped. You were comparing it with Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Thrones, the the pair of showrunners Benioff and Weiss have written the grand majority of the episodes. Uh, 
you know, they write the majority of episodes every season, whereas it seems like The Expanse has a team that writes, uh, you know, a couple will write one, somebody will write the next, and then, so they'll have like five or six script writers per season, mm-hmm. whereas Game of Thrones has remained, for better or for worse, almost entirely David Benioff and W.B. Weiss, and then George R. Martin writes an episode a year, basically, but it's mm-hmm. almost all them. And so there has been one consistent vision for the show the whole way through. Whereas maybe the problem with The Expanse is it has too many cooks. It has too many people, you know, pulling at it and teasing it into something else so that it's losing central cohesiveness. Yep. So there's only two shows that I worship to such a level that I've researched this and seen all the behind the scenes and everything. Mm -hmm. But... The one thing that yeah, Seinfeld, Galactica and Breaking Bad, Seinfeld. The one thing oh. that well, actually, this is probably true about Gilligan. You can uh, let me know when I finish this whether this is also true of Gilligan. With Seinfeld, and uh, it, well, Seinfeld it was Jerry and Larry David, and then mm-hmm. it was it was Ron Moore, um, and Battlestar, and there was a writers' room which is what you see on all comedies and dramas now on television. You have a writer's room, and different right. people take things as a project. But in both cases, the um, showrunners, the creators, took a major final pass on every script. And when you listen to the behind the scenes of Seinfeld or Battlestar to other directors and writers, mm-hmm. they'll be like... Yeah, that was the best line in the show, and Ron came up with that one. Or that was the most hilarious bit in the whole thing, and Larry David came up with that. Like while we were having tuna sandwiches, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's a reason the showrunner is so important. So, you know, whoever's not taking is or is not taking a final pass at these scripts, they're either letting through stuff that doesn't have enough umph, or, or they're not stopping things where you know where they might need to be stopped and, and put in a different direction. I think right. there's enough episodes in a row now, Matt, that we can definitively say this thing's a little off course. Oh, I, I would definitely agree with yeah. that. And I it's don't like the know. Patriots. Like, how many yeah. losses do the Patriots need to have before Patriots fans get worried? Two? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. <laughs> it depends when the losses happen. If you have two in a row or if you have two that happen in the same way, th- then people will start to get worried. But if you, like, lose your opener – and then they, you lose your week 16 game because you've clinched the the AFC top seed and you don't care and you want to rest your starters. Nobody freaks out about that. Right. So it you know it changes season to season. Um, but when Brady was out, those first four games, what was like best and worst? I mean, not what what we know what best and worst case scenario is four zero and zero and four. But like what was like the cutoff whereby after those or during those four games, fans were going to be getting nervous. I think if that team had gone two and two or one and three, if they had gone one and three, people would have been nervous. If they were two and two, people would have been nervous that they would not have been able to clinch the top seed. I think, you know, what a luxury. Jesus Christ. Well, the AFC East is so lousy that even if they had lost three of those games, everybody thought once Brady comes back, they would have been completely capable of still winning the AFC East, clinching a home game in the first round, but maybe not finishing as the number one team. When they went three and one and the only game they lost, both of their backup quarterbacks were hurt. People were like, okay, whatever. It's one loss. It probably won't kill them. And then they lost one more time in the regular season, I think. And that was it. So 
Yeah, this is an interesting comparison. Like, for example, how many losses would Marvel need before people start getting worried? Because right now, Iron Fist is the only major, major, major horrible one. Right. If Even they, Thor The Dark World, if you look up Thor The Dark World on Rotten Tomatoes, it has in the 70s in both critical and audience. That movie was not widely hated the way me and you dislike it. Uh, no, you're right about that. I think in part because it was funny and that got people past its mediocrity. People love Loki and Thor, yeah. yeah. Loki and Thor, that helps it a lot. And I think the fact that there were better Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that came out after, people have gotten past Thor The Dark World pretty uh pretty quickly um now if you know doctor strange was only mediocre iron fist was a disaster if these next marvel movies coming out turn out to be bad then people are really going to start to worry um you know if guardians disappoints and if spider-man turns out marvel couldn't save spider-man and then thor isn't as good if those three movies sink then people are really going to give up I think people will forgive. I think maybe actually people will start to wonder if about Marvel, if guardians is bad. I think there is a lot of stock being put in on guardian, the galaxy volume two shoulders. I think maybe we need to change the narrative. I'm just thinking about this, listening to you because they're probably never going to make a classically quote unquote bad movie again in the sense of like the worst parts of Iron Man 2 because they are operating so much by committee and they have turned entertainment into a formula, you know, at Marvel more than anywhere. And so it's always going to be robotic. It does prevent you from – it's almost like – back to football. It's like a quarterback who has like a 70%, 72% completion percentage, but their average yards per throw is like six. Right. And they may only get one touchdown a game or two, but they don't throw a lot of interceptions. Right. Not going to not gonna wow you. Probably won't win you a Super Bowl, but might get you close. Right. That's, that's sort of where they're at right now, right? And then every once in a while, they get like a Tom Brady year or like a crazy, uh, you know, Joe Flacco year or something, you know? Uh, so I don't think we're getting a bad movie, but maybe the narrative is just like, when does the formula start wearing off on the general population and not just us who overanalyze these things to death. I think it's a question of when does the formula stop working on its own terms? I be, and the, the quarterback comparison is the right one, which is okay. A guy who can complete 65, 70% of his passes and get six yards a pop. Isn't going to put up the numbers Peyton Manning put up, but if he goes 12 and four each season and it goes to deep in the playoffs and maybe wins one every now and again, he is succeeding on his own terms as a quarterback. But if he goes somewhere between four and 12 and six and, and uh, 10 every year, he is failing on his own terms. His mm-hmm. style isn't good enough in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So Marvel has created a formula. So now we just, I think have to evaluate the film by its own formula. Does this work as a Marvel movie? And we can always question whether or not it's original or not. You know, I liked Dr. Strange, but I would not tell you at all that it was original. It was an original premise, but the execution was, I feel like I've seen that movie five or six times now from Marvel. Yeah. I think their firewall is there's no way guardians and Spider-Man are going to be bad. I mean, at worst they'll be above average. Yeah. But, you know, with the excitement around Thor, then you've got Thor, Black Panther, and Infinity War in a six-month period, literally. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be insane. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're gonna have to control it a little bit until Star Wars is released. You know, Disney not not cannibalizing itself, mm-hmm. but come the first of next year, it's gonna be ratcheted up big time. And then it, what are we? Are we getting Captain Marvel next year and Ant Man? Is that are all four of those next year? I can't remember. I, th- yeah. That sounds right. I like that they're keeping Black Panther under wraps. Uh, oh, my other prediction is, and I haven't heard this, uh, maybe this isn't a prediction. I think they'll probably have Black Panther footage uh, after Spider-Man, would be my guess. That the timing lines up, like the, the timing between for, for a just quick teaser. Um, maybe. I, think, we'll I think we're more likely to get Black Panther at Star Wars. You know, I, I think they don't want to Two start months pre- beforehand? A month and a half, one month, five weeks? Is Black Panther coming out in February, February. of 2018? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Then maybe Thor. Or we'll think maybe, about it. Or Thor? maybe whatever, the, or maybe Spider-Man. Uh, What's the, the later summer it's one? Eight it's eight months. Guardians, in both then... cases, it's eight months. In both cases, it's like an eight-month spread between. We just got Thor footage. Right. Thor's eight months off. Spider-Man's in what, June or July? I think so, yeah. So it's eight months off to February. I, 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 and they were both introduced in Civil War. Most people say those are the highlights of the new introductions in Civil War. Um, Tony Stark is in Spider-Man, you know? When, sure. He's on Team Stark right now. I mean, you know? I mean, in a way, although he's doing T'Challa things back in the kingdom. Oh, man, Michael B. Jordan as a bad guy. I cannot wait. It's going <laughs> to be so, so good. And they keep at, at um, adding actors, and I keep forgetting. I was like, "Oh, Angela Bassett did this in a major role." I was like, "His mother, fucking sweet." Um, so I think they do have a nice firewall of Thor and Black Panther, which are very different and very capable, young, talented directors' hands. And then you got and then you got an Infinity War movie. Um, all right, man. Why don't we wrap this up? Um, so let's circle um, all the way uh, back to the beginning. Well, d- did you have anything to say in the expanse uh, about no. the expanse? Because no, I really don't have yeah. anything to say about the episode. It was just kind of there. Yeah. So I, I was going to tie a bow on our first, you know, hour and fifteen minutes here, which which is just that. Um, uh, I don't know if if I if Thor has informed me anything new about it, what Infinity War is going to look like. No, I don't think so either. But which is good. I'm glad they're letting this be a movie because this is such o- the obvious setup movie. Um, that it, it seems like Taika Waititi probably wouldn't have taken it if they forced him to do too much setting up, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think it's going to happen late. Like, I think there'll be like a postscript to the Thor movie where the Guardians show up and they talk about shit, something like that. I could see happening. Or he's like, he says something like, I need to get back to Earth. Something has gone wrong. Thanos is coming. Bloody, something like that. Here, here's, here's something though, man, that, that, that you and I need to consider which is the success of shallow science fiction over, you know, deeper science fiction properties. Right. I mean, Star Trek's buried, you know, maybe never Mm -hmm. to come out. I -hmm. love Star Wars. Guardians is really fun. There's almost zero thought involved in either of those properties in terms of the, the, the viewer's experience, connection to the science part of science fiction. They're just fantasy and Thor too. It's just fantasy in space. I mean, it just happens to be in space. The planet Hulk is, is, you know, I mean, Oh, this is what I wanted to tell you about. As soon as the Hulk came out and the planet Hulk stuff, he looked right. exactly like the Oryx from Warcraft. I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying they copied the effect, but I remember reading the comic and be like, oh, this guy looks like an Oryx from Warcraft. You know, this was like a year ago. And then whatever, I saw the movie. And then this, I was like, oh, yeah, it looks just like Warcraft. Looks amazing. Um, 
do you, uh, uh, oh that was my my last point that we can move on for good from this was and planet hulk he's hulk the entire time and it's a long graphic novel and he's yeah com- he communicates as the hulk he's able to maintain his temper as the hulk it's possible we don't see mark ruffalo in this film it is definitely possible i hope that's not the case just because yeah. i really do like what uh ruffalo has done with banner and i think I want to see more of that character. Yeah. I think we'll get, a um, we'll get a little, he, I don't think he'd want to do it if he didn't get to do a little a Bruce Banner stuff. I would um, hope so. But my guess is through the action part in the middle, he stays on Hulk form would be my guess. Probably. Which is pretty sweet. And you had Dr. Strange. Oh my God. The three of them, the, I, I think this is going to pick Benedict Cumberbatch up. And I don't think he was bad at all. Um, he wouldn't have been my pick for Dr. Strange, but I think, you could see it in the post credits him uh, him and hemsworth had such great rapport in that mm-hmm. scene i think him with ruffalo and hemsworth and hiddleston you know i mean right. would just be amazing um so yeah man so uh, um fuck i don't even know how to transition from here so, I, uh, um, well, yeah. So, what, what else? What I, I know it wasn't a great um, week for TV. Oh, did you want to talk about uh, iZombie? Yeah. So last week, iZombie started up, and uh, so Can now you just we're explain two... it real quickly for people who might not be familiar. Okay, so iZombie is vaguely, and I mean vaguely, inspired by a comic series that ran uh, on. It was a Vertigo series that has its whole world about. The main character in that, she works in a graveyard and there's some stuff about people have two souls and I I don't really want to get into what it's all about because the show has nothing to do with uh, the series. The The show is about a woman named Liv who uh, played by a an actress named Rose McIver uh, who basically at the start of the show gets turned into a zombie um, she's a New Zealand actress. Uh, she's obviously an Amer- She's got an American accent in the show. And in this version of zombieism, you don't become like the lurching, shambling zombie immediately. If you can conge- in- ingest brains on a regular basis, you basically stay human. You you know you don't go crazy. You can gain super strength in moments of extreme stress, but you don't lose your mind. You don't lose your sanity. You basically stay you. You just need to eat brains. The gimmick is that the brains that you that ingest, is- you will experience the um, the memories and the personality. So this show basically gives this actress and her boyfriend, who in the second season gets turned into a zombie to save his life, they play all of these different characters while they're still playing themselves. So in one episode, she ingests the brain of a librarian who writes romance fiction on the side. So she makes like sex jokes and acts promiscuous sort of, she doesn't sleep around, but she acts horny. But in another one, she invest, she ingests the brain of like a racist old man. And so she's an asshole to everybody in another one, she play, She ingests the brain of, I think, a, a basketball player or a coach. And so suddenly a woman who, who doesn't really like sports is coaching all these little kids. Um, the show is really, really, really fun. The characters are – the actors are all really, really visibly loving, hanging out with each other and making the show. It's got this really infectious sense of enthusiasm to it, uh, and I, I, I really like it. 
the first episode was too much plot because the plot doesn't matter. But the second one was just the boyfriend ingests the brain of a 15-year-old girl. So he's making all these jokes about selfies and she ingests the brain of like a 30-year-old banker. So she's giving pep talks and is like super serious and is kind of like a young dad who doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. Um, one of my best, uh, one of my favorite lines is uh, two of them. She ingests this brain of a gamer who doesn't like to go out and she's supposed to have a date and she's dating a, a zombie. And so she calls him up and says, I'm sorry, I don't feel well. I don't think I can make it out. Oh, wait, you're a zombie too. I can tell the truth. I ingested an agoraphobic's mm-hmm. brain and I'm afraid to leave the house. Um, <laughs> and then later she and her boyfriend are being intimate and he says, I, we can't do this. I'm sorry. I'm gay. And she's like, oh God. He says, no, no, not permanently. I just, I think I ate the brain of a gay guy. <laughs> Next week I'm going to eat the brain of a super virile guy. I think I might dig up Wilt Chamberlain's brain. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so what? what to, all right, Matt. I'm going to put you on the couch here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> talk to talk to us about zombies. Why zombies? There are some of us out here who, out there who do not understand the attraction to zombies. Zombie this, zombie that. I mean, at least with like a vampire, there's like a lot of like thick like metaphor and irony and it you know and stuff like that. You, you, whether you like it or not, werewolves just seem like bad, scary monsters. Well, the thing with werewolves is that they can't control what they are, you know. Did I and say so, werewolf? I meant zombie. Oh yeah, you did say werewolf. Oh, uh, so sorry. I thought because so, I was thinking about werewolf fit on this spectrum because werewolf mm-hmm. is actually potentially less interesting than zombies, although visually more, <laughs> you know, appealing. Well, the thing with werewolves is it's just sad, you know. Movies like An American right. Werewolf in London. Yep. It's a funny movie, but it's ultimately a really sad movie because yeah. the main character can't do anything to stop his transformations. And so he just goes around killing people, including his friend, yep. until he is killed. You know? That's what the whole third Harry Potter movie w- that was about that I just did a commentary on, Prisoner of Azkaban. It was exactly. d- David Thewlis as, as a werewolf trying to control it and not hurt anyone. And almost they have to like, go back in time, literally, to fix the shit that he fucks up. Right, exactly. You know, and a werewolf by accident. What is so um, what sells the friendship between the different um, the four people? You know that he's one of their group is that they're willing to go through all of these like traps and tricks to find a way for Lupin to kind of contain himself and not kill anybody, but still be part of their lives to stay at Hogwarts to still feel like a person. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this loss of humanity to becoming a werewolf um that's kind of inescapable Mm -hmm. this is a different take on zombies and it's worth mentioning you said vampires some of this is just fad you know vampires were much 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 more popular you know in the probably the first five to ten years of the 21st century and then they went away and were pretty much yeah, uh, this, yeah. No, no, this, was, this is what I was talking about and, earlier. This exact thing was the transition from the obsession with vampires and werewolves to the obsessions with zombies, which happened, yeah, like five or ten years ago. Yeah, you know, the Twilight fad pretty much ended the uh, fixation with vampires and zombies pretty much stepped in. You know, right around the time Twilight was running out of popularity, that's when The Walking Dead came on. And that's when we went from getting all kinds of, like, Drac vampire shitty movies to strange 
zombie movies you know we got right. warm bodies which is about a zombie who falls in love with a chick and it, it, it's yeah. just this like goofy teen comedy yeah. um that would have been a vampire movie in like 2004 right um yeah but i guess you know l- let me preface this by saying i hated twilight as soon as i heard the conception of it right i forced myself to watch the first movie because i knew i wasn't going to read the book and thought it was dread beyond dreadful mm-hmm. and it seems like the movies just got worse um, and the books are pretty trashy. However, at least the memorable things are human relationship based in that case. Whereas, like you know, of, of everything I've seen in Walking Dead and heard, of, I know about Rick Grimes. I knew some of these side characters, but it's just about like the brutal ways that zombies are killing people and stuff, which is totally cool. I, it, you know, if people are into that, that's fine. I just uh, it, that it's it's an interesting genre change because it's really a completely different genre. I guess is what I'm getting to vampires and, and zombies. And uh, well, yeah. uh, to get a little psychological, I yes. think vampirism and to an extent, I would say werewolfism are ultimately based around these kind of what I would call fears of the self. You know, it is vampirism is fear of human sexuality. I mean, I've mm-hmm. said that enough times that I don't need to repeat it again. But even in its origin, vampirism was always about sex. And then werewolves is about unchecked human emotion, you know, of giving into the rage, the beast within, et cetera, et cetera. Zombieism is always about fears of the unknown. Of We talked about this with Walking Dead, of the oncoming horde of faceless other that is coming to kill you and take everything that you have, which is a reason why zombies are feel very like an American horror concept whereas vampires are very british um you know because this idea of the oncoming horde feels like a very american idea where i zombie is actually a little bit different is that it presents the zombies as human and actually needing to be protected this episode this season is about finally the world is starting to realize there are zombies there are some zombies who basically run companies that are trying to plan ways to painlessly integrate zombies into the rest of society so that they're not just hunted down and killed. But the zombies are portrayed as people. You know, she runs a school where all the, where all the little kids are undead. And one of the humans on the show, a detective named Clive Babineau, played by a guy named Malcolm Goodwin, discovers that this kid that he kind of took under his wing when he saved her mom from an abusive husband became undead at some point. And then he in the season one premiere is murdered and he, the cop is really, really distraught over it and sees that zombies need to be protected. And so suddenly we are taking this fear of the unknown and what had previously only ever been a faceless monster coming to literally eat you to the ones who need to be protected, that zombies are a threat because they'll expose the brutality in humans, which is an idea that Walking Dead sort of hints at, and they are the ones that need to be protected. Walking Dead, it's, you know, blow their brains out, nobody cares. Um, But it's humanizing the other, which I find fascinating, and maybe a little bit necessary in 21st century Trump America. So what what makes something undead? Because you it, know, when you're growing up playing role-playing games, it's like these hilarious walking skeletons or the undead. Right. So 
in in this show, it's a virus that's transmitted via a scratch, and it's no, it's, no, no. I'm sorry, that was my question. If you take apart the word "undead," what specifically makes zombies undead as opposed to just having a fucked up virus? They are immune to physical damage. They feel pain, but if you shoot them, they will survive. They won't bleed to death. The only way they can be killed, basically, is to you know blow their brains out or or some other you know right. roast them alive. Right, right. But I'm saying metaphysically, they're seen as lost because if you're undead, it means you're just delaying the way to death. You're not really alive anymore in this true sense, right? That's what undead means. Well, this show is. That's why it usually involved priests in the past. You know, like one of the guys on my D and D campaign. He's he's literally like an undead priest. He's like a he's like a warlock or whatever. That's like his thing. Like finding the undead, putting them to rest. Blah 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 blah. Right. You know, I'm more like hack and slash orcs kind of guy. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. And it seems like uh, zombies have sort of gone in the middle of those two things because they still have, they're not just bones, you know? I mean, they have flesh. They have yes. things that would maybe make them almost human or related to humans. I'm just, I just, I never really thought about it before now because I'm not a big zombie person, but, and this obviously it's called Fear of the Undead, blah, 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 blah Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, but in terms of undead, I, I just, I never really, um, kind of looked at it that way it's really that that's interesting because then then there is no real reclamation project other than killing them like you're you're not doing them any favors doing anything other than killing them yes now this show is trying you know her friend her the doctor she works with at a coroner's office Mm -hmm. um ravi uh chakrabarty played by a guy named rahul uh coley um nice he's uh, an english actor um, he is of Indian origin, so nice to see more diversity on TV. We don't necessarily get a lot of character actors of Indian nope. descent, so that's cool. Um, he is trying to find a cure for her. Although more in than other of, Asians, but never mind, go keep going. True. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of literally undead, she right. did die. She is killed in a boating act in a boat party, she is clawed to death by a zo- another zombie or there's, I don't remember exactly what happens, but she is killed and she becomes mm-hmm. a zombie and reanimates. So she is undead, but no, a lot of the zombies that she encounters were human who just got scratched and became zombies. They never did die. So in fact, they aren't in fact the undead except in the sense that they cannot die. So, Un is not the correct prefix. I don't know what it would be, but they, they are incapable of dying. They can be killed, right. but they don't die naturally. Well, no, but they've muddied the waters by calling it Walking Dead. I mean, I when right. I let's put it this way. I wasn't into any of the vampires, werewolves, uh, zombies growing up. But if I, if I looked at it in the traditional way, vampires seem to be more traditional undead creatures. Yes. Zombies almost are like a new speciation of, of humans because they're just as... I mean, if anything, they have less spirit than we do, right? So they're more grounded. Um, right. They, but Walking Dead is literally accurate because in that show, you have to die to become a zombie. The zombie virus might kill you, but you will die. You will suffer total brain death, and then the virus will reanimate you as a zombie corpse. And then there's – so far as I know, there's never been a cure discovered. The show – hints in season one finale that the french were working on it but that's like saying there's a cure on the moon because in a country that doesn't have power 
there's no way you could ever get to France. And Mm -hmm. there's no, that's a rumor anyway. It might turn out that that's completely untrue. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. So you, you often said, or, you know, at least hinted that there's some zeitgeist stuff going on in the zombies in the past few years. Um, you know, like some possible yeah. political, sociological connections, whatever. Do you think that was true with the during like the Twilight phase, or that was just a straight up literary fad? It's hard to tell. Like that, uh, I feel like I feel like the Twilight and Hunger Games thing both could have happened at other times in our history. Yes, well, especially because Hunger Games did happen before. I mean, a lot of people have said. It's very, very similar to uh, Battle Royale, um, which was a movie uh, that came out in 2000. It was a Japanese movie, but it's also about kids being forced to kill each other. And um, people have said it reminds some of them of uh, the, the, not the running man, but Stephen King wrote a story about kids who have to walk and the last person Every, if you stop walking, you're executed. And so it's this who can stay walking the longest et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, dude. So Hunger Games, yeah, it doesn't, the moment it came out, I don't know that I can find a vampires were America in right after 9-11 thing. I, I, I have a hard time coming up with that exact analogy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the movie that we keep teasing, but we haven't been able to get the name right, is Videodrome by David Cronenberg in 1983 which is where you have a CEO played by James Woods, a bored TV CEO, start just broadcasting extreme violence and torture. Right. Um, And and to create, you know, money. I mean, just to print money, basically. Um, And they... Battle Royale was a real... I'm not making that movie up, though. That was a Japanese movie in 2000. Yes. About children being forced to kill each other. Yeah, but we've referenced Videodrome indirectly a couple of times. Possibly. And so I want to just throw uh, that in the ring. As it has one James that, Wood in it, uh, and I believe and he David gets David Cronenberg, he, uh, yeah. who's the exploding heads guy. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He did the um, the fly with Jeff Goldblum. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. If like you've a seen a horror movie with really grotesque monsters, it's probably a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Although he makes them so hilariously grotesque, and then when he explodes them, it's just amazing. Yeah, he... I don't love his stuff. I think of those kind of horror movies, I probably am more of a John Carpenter fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cronenberg definitely has a style that he likes to make, and I think he's pretty good at making those kind of movies. You just have to like them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing, yeah, you know, Gl- Gladiator was that movie, but not for mm-hmm. the reason people think. People think Gladiator is a movie about gla- about other people watching a Gladiator without realizing they're doing it in the theater with the movie Gladiator. You know, waiting for the same violence that all the people in the the gladiatory arena. You know, and when, that's why when Russell Crowe says, you know, are you not entertained? He's talking to us as well. I think this genre has been around a long time in a lot of forms, for sure. Um, yeah. Hunger Games just added Jennifer Lawrence and a bow and arrow. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. If we take out Jennifer Lawrence and the bow and arrow, what does the Hunger Games movies have? Whole lot of uh, nothing. And by the way, uh, yeah. she never uses it. I saw two of the four movies. She barely uses it. Yeah, she uses it more in the books i i I never saw either of the last two movies i didn't like i didn't love the first one and i didn't even like the second one and then i was like i don't care anymore i i didn't even like the second two books the hunger games book is the only thing in that whole universe that i find it all interesting well they 
they had three leads, kid leads, and they miscast both guys. And they just shot themselves in the foot with that, you know? I mean, people can only put up with those two douchebags for so long that you believe that J-Law would, you know, fall in love with them. Give me a break. It was horrible, <laughs> horrible casting. And then they tried to make up for it with all the celebrities, Donald Sutherland and Elizabeth Banks and, you know, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Julian, Lenny Kravitz. Uh, Julian Moore, Lenny Kravitz. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Banks was the best by far. I mean, that's so why they kept her around so much. She's so fucking hilarious. She's the best part of those movies, I thought. Woody Harrelson um, is pretty good Woody too. Harrelson, yeah. I yes, they didn't yes. give him a lot to do. Um, He's great in that. Hamish role. is a little bit more of an interesting character in the book than they let him be in the show. Um, that Stephen King story, just so people are wondering, it's called The Long Walk. It was written in '79, and it was published when he was doing his whole Richard Bachman pseudonym phase of his life. I never quite understood mm-hmm. why he did that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about kids being forced to walk, and then if they stop walking, they're executed, and there's like a prize at the end. So again, children being killed for entertainment purposes. So, you know, the Hunger Games could exist outside of the early 21st century because it does. Yeah, yeah. And I think... um, David Cronenberg also did the movie Scanners, where a guy's head is telekinetically exploded. So... He just, yeah. I think he just likes making movies where things blow up. I wonder, I wonder if Warner Brothers was just watching uh, Hugger Games, you know, while Zack Snyder was in, originally in development with all this, just being like, well, it's not very good. It's very dark. It's printing money. Let's do it. <laughs> it could be. Um, I mean, the color, the color palette in the Hunger Games movies is maybe more bleak than Batman v Superman. I mean, the reason people like the second one, Catching Fire, is because they're in the woods, basically. And it's like a competition. It's much more colorful. It's bright. But everything that happens in like the townships or whatever they call it, I mean, it's, it's like a um, Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg filter. You know, it's like an AI or uh, Minority Report, you know, just like completely washed out. Looks, you well, know, what looks it reminded me the most of, and I, I, I still think that the reason Jennifer Lawrence got that part is because of the job she did in the movie uh, Winter's Bone, which is set in Appalachia. It is about a girl who is a survivalist who has to hunt to feed her family uh, and then runs afoul of the law kind of. It's incredibly, the visuals are really, really stark. The only movie I've ever seen that captures that same sense of just sort of despair and decay is Children of Men, which I really liked. Uh, And then Katniss Everdeen is more or less, if you dropped the character from Winter's Bone into this weird futuristic game show, that's what you got. So I think the district stuff is all kind of taken from that visual, but the capital itself looks like, looks like it could be a planet on guardians everybody is wearing these very elaborate brightly colored ridiculous outfits it's supposed to be the roman empire before it falls the 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 country she lives in is called panem which comes from the phrase panem et circium which means bread and circus which is a reference to the roman empire and the idea of distracting the people from a society that was completely falling apart right um interesting it's. I actually liked her portrayal of Mystique, and I think when it doesn't work, it's the writer's fault, not hers. But um, s- some of these women are just have the mentality for 
action heroes. I mean, Scarlett Johansson, it's just always been natural with her. Even when mm-hmm. she's had bad writing, like the Iron Man 2, but then they corrected that with Avengers. And, you know, Lucy was really not amazing, but she was fantastic in it. Um, and she was fantastic in Ghost in the Shell, too. I mean, she's really convincing and is able to pull off these subtleties. Some, and you would think that, you know, Scarlett Johansson wouldn't be able to even pull that off because just, you know, physically hard to make it work when you're, when you're that full body. Jayla is a more athletic kind of build. Um, I think she yeah, can do it. I, I think the writing let her down in Hunger Games. I think we, she could have been a much bigger badass than she was. Maybe not. I don't think anybody really tried to make anything artistic with Hunger Games. I think all of those movies were cash grabs. I certainly think the splitting Mockingjay into two movies was purely a cash grab. Mm-hmm. I I have a very specific complaint with Jennifer Lawrence, that oh, which is, point. this is going to sound weird, there is something about her eyes in every role I've ever seen him in, her in, that looks, for lack of a better word, vacant. There is a stare that she has that makes it hard with a lot of the roles she plays to believe that she cares about what's going on. And right. I wouldn't describe it as I wouldn't describe it as vacant, but I know exactly what you're describing. She looks like she's looking look, through the other actors as opposed to into their eyes. Like or, she looks like, yeah. But it, it makes it look like she's not interested or doesn't care. It was, was Hayden definitely- Christensen's thing. I mean, Hayden Christensen had that same exact look in his eye through all the Star Wars movies. I know what you're talking I, about. Yeah, it, but it works maybe for some of her characters. I'd have like, to rewatch the prequels. I, yeah. My issue with Mystique in I, – I liked her in First Class because I, I thought First right. Class was a well-done movie. I, I liked great. her portrayal. Yep. I never saw Apocalypse. But in Days of Future Past, which we are of vastly different opinions about, to me she doesn't look – invested in the film or the plot despite her being maybe the most important character to the entirety of the movie i mean the whole movie is about convincing her to not do the thing that creates the dystopian future i know i i just i just not on board with your you know your you're making assumptions about people's levels of investment based on acting and writing problems i that's where I agree with 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 your problems. I just I'm not willing to go so far as to say she was not into it. I said she looks like she was not. Her I know, character- but you say that about Shield, but you don't say that about the CW shows when Arrow stinks or whatever. I've been saying the Arrow people haven't looked like they're in it for two years. Okay, well then maybe we just disagree. I I don't think those actors look checked out. I think those shows have lots of other because you're not checked out, son. That's what's going on. You're checked out of Agents of Shields. You're checked out of Agents of Shield. I'm checked yes. out of Agents of Shield. So we both think that you know, it's it, it's dying, and maybe the actors are responding to that, even though they're getting another season. But I yep. felt this way about Arrow for probably I didn't hate season four as much as you, but by the, certainly by the end of season four and through until now, I'm uh, yeah, it's starting to seem like a mail-in job for me. And the fact that Thea's nowhere to be found, and, and the best thing they got is to bring Laurel back, and that's going to somehow rejuvenate the series. I, it just represents all the bad decision-making. On the Arrow franchise, and that's all I'm going to say about that. You're probably right about that. I mean, I, I certainly don't think Arrow has done anything to make me think that the la- the next season is going to be better. I think the problems are correctable, but I don't think they necessarily recognize that there are problems. Um, yep. I don't think the Flash... The, it, the Arrow people, yeah, I think it's maybe a little more obvious than I'm recognizing... I don't think the Flash actors and actresses look checked out. I think the show has gotten too big for its own boots. Maybe. 
but they just I don't need think, writers. I think that's yeah. the problem with these. And they need to hone it know. in a little bit. I mean, I think that's really all the Flash needs to do is just hone its shit back to a more manageable level. Why don't they hire Kevin Smith? I mean, it doesn't make no sense. Well, They've they bring him Kevin on to do guest episodes, but he probably costs more than they want to spend to do more than, you know, one a year to a year. Yeah, but he's done a couple just regular Supergirl episodes, which have really helped the series, even if they're not like mega And he's episodes. done a couple of Flash episodes. He did the Runaway Dinosaur last year. Oh, that's I cool. think he did one this year. Um, he loves you know, DC Comics, but he also yeah. sees... Yeah, he also must. He also must see the flaws. I mean, I, that's the thing. But I never think actors are as checked out as you think actors are checked out. Like, the, like your moderate amount of checking out like barely registers for me because I just think actors are always. You're not always going to be Heath Ledger in the Joker as the Joker. <laughs> that, that, that's certainly true. Um, and so you know you're going to have. I mean, guys like Brandon Routh always seem kind of tuned out a little bit. He's just kind of a spacey dude, you know. I mean, he's a smart guy in real life, but. I think J-Law is just a spacey chick. I think the reason girls like Jennifer Lawrence is because she seems like a regular girl. And so, yeah, a regular, you know, teenage girl. And I know she's not a teenager, but her fan, teenage fans, you know, a, a quote unquote normal teenage American girl in, uh, in 2017. I don't know what that looks like. It might, it might not be printing. I will fully admit it could just be a personal hang-up. There's something to me no, you're about right. you're right. Jennifer Lawrence's eyes that not make it hard for me to buy her. I, there's something about Charlize Theron you don't like, and I'm sure you can put your finger on some concrete things, but there's probably something intangible that you have a little harder time describing. And if not her, there's got to be some famous person that there's some intangible thing you. you can't explain. I agree with you. And why do I praise Scarlett so much? Is she so present in her scenes? Yes, she absolutely is. Scarlett Johansson, I mean, when she's flirting with Ruffalo or, you know, going toe-to-toe with Cap or, or I mean, in any of her roles, the Woody Allen roles, I mean, she's so present. She's right. always making eye contact. She's very natural physical touch. I just yeah. think there's something uptight and cold about Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, um, I agree. And, but she also tries to – it seems to be belied yeah, by her be, personality. People have written shitty lines for her. I mean, But in real but life, yeah. she's very fiery and very honest and very yeah. regular girlish and talks about when she gets drunk and the stupid shit she does. But she's not like a total fuck-up. Like She kind of has it together. And so that makes me think that's an acting problem or a directing problem because, dude, she was amazing in uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, but, she was great in that. Yeah. And really, if you've never seen A Winter's Bone, you should see it. It's a really good movie. Um, I wouldn't rewatch it either way. Yeah. Favorite thing I of hers that I've ever seen. I really didn't know anything about it walking in. I think my parents just wanted to go see it one day while I was in town visiting, and I was blown away at how good I thought it was. It's a very simple, stripped down movie that is very, very powerful. It's got a really good, evocative aesthetic to it, and she's terrific in it. And I believe she mm-hmm. got an Oscar nomination for it. Um, if not, I mean, she got when your first stuff and it's, it's interesting, man, when, when your first movie is such a big hit critically or otherwise, mm-hmm. these actors and actresses have pretty similar paths going one way or the other. I'm not saying her career has gone down. Her career is obviously through the roof. But, you know, if, if the first film is a critical darling like Scarlet and Lost in Translation, which I didn't see until months after it came out. I didn't know who Scarlett Johansson was, and I watched that movie at Wesleyan. They screened it. I didn't. They screened it at the uh, in the uh, CLA, uh, you know, film building. You know, they have a big. Did you ever see a film there? Uh, at Wesleyan? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. In the little movie theater they had or in the, the, yeah, um, the conference in, room where in they the were CFA, this In the CFA complex. The, the Yeah, I definitely n- near saw Crowl. It's like just past Crowl. There's the big film building and they they do screenings there or whatever. If you saw a movie yeah. on a screen at Wesleyan, it was definitely there. Um, okay, then yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so they screen lost in translation. And like I remember thinking two things very distinctly. A who is this girl? I'm completely in love with her. I- I've never seen her before. She is just so appealing and sexy and like just attractive on like all mm-hmm. levels. And then B, she's never going to top this role again because she seems like a really good actress, but this role is clearly made for her personality, you know? Um, and I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I'm s- and I'm so happy I was that she's turned into so many performances. You know, Natalie, Natalie Portman's had trouble escaping the professional because that was such an acclaimed role for her. <clears throat> um, right? I don't know if that's true. She gets she's not having a hard time finding work. No, I'm of- just talking about in terms of hardcore film buffs. We're just talking film nerds here. You know what I mean? Um, I'm just saying it's it, it's it's an interesting challenge, and some people survive it. I mean, there's that's the thing. We're naming the actresses that not only survived it but thrived it. There's so many that, right. that just get buried. I mean, the woman. I mean, it, it, <laughs> the woman in uh, The Shining. <laughs> I think everyone's heard this story. Do you, do you know the The Shining story? I, uh, is this the do 127 takes? Kubrick specifically and Shelley consciously, Shelley Duvall, specifically oh, yeah, tortured her, like, like torment psychologically, tormented, did everything but smack her in the face. I mean, it was horribly abusive to this woman to get the effect. Uh, you know, I mean, and that's it. That, I mean, she was in other movies, but you know, you, there's no coming back from that. I think Bjork had a similar response uh, uh, experience making Dancer in the Dark with uh, Lars von Trier, uh, where Trier was really, really, really nasty to her. He's Um, he's a terrible person. Yeah, he Trier is a horrible. horrible Yeah, didn't he say Hitler was smart or something like that? Yeah, he's 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 not like a straight up Nazi, but he's one of those. Well, he's a super nihilist, right? He's one of those European super left wing nihilistic. You know, they end up being anti Semitic and and uh, anti you know immigrant and stuff, even though they're supposedly on the on the left. it's a bizarre phenomenon. But yeah, Lars von Trier films are all about torturing either the people in the movie or the audience or both. Um, although he does have a pretty hilarious film called The Idiots. Lars von Trier? Mm-hmm. I've, I don't know very much about him. I remember reading about Melancholia and thinking, this sounds just like so mean-spirited and yeah. whatever. Well, um uh, the idiots is is about uh, you know uh, this colony of you know hippie uh, druggy users and where is he from Denmark? Was he Dutch? What the what the hell is he from? Is he from uh, Copenhagen? He, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's Danish. Right. Okay. So there are just all of these kids, you know, living in like a nudist colony in someone's big mansion or something, you know, going around basically doing um like if you combine Forrest Gump. With the, what like what the guys are doing on Fight Club in terms of fucking with people, right, right, right. You know, so they're like they're intentionally acting stupid in public places around people, but in ways that are trying to elicit manipulatively. Uh, and you're never quite sure whether it's a documentary or not. I mean, you know that the actors are are in on it. You never know if the crowd is in on it or not. But the brilliant thing is, 
their phony, their deep down phoniness ends up tearing the group apart in the end. And they all, I don't know if they end up killing each other, but like they go from being supposedly like best buds, you know, but it was based on this totally nihilistic thing. It actually comes back on itself and the whole thing like goes to shit because they realize they're just a bunch of selfish, lazy, uh, you know, like pseudo intellectuals or whatever. So that's why it makes it hard to criticize guys like Von Trier because you don't know how many levels of meta they're going with everything. Right. You know? But yes, I've, I've heard the Nazi things around him. Uh, I think what he said was something along the lines of, like, I can understand why Hitler did what he did or something. Or something. I, who knows? I yeah. just... Yeah. But, um, Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. But, I mean, but look, I mean, The Shining, 1980, compared to, like, how they treat all the stars on Marvel movies, you know, with, like foamy million dollar lattes and you know like how pampered yeah, i mean i mean it's male crazy. Act, male actors are probably treated a heck of a lot better now than they were 30 no, years I'm ago talking about everyone well. i'm talking i'm talking about no i'm talking about i'm talking about everyone i'm talking about natalie portman renee russo i mean all, all the all the characters you know all the big name actors um you know how captain marvel will be treated i'm just saying in terms of the behind the scene process you can't get away with stuff like the shining anymore you can i mean they used to kill animals like they had to you know right specifically stop killing animals um because that's kind of horrible i mean you don't the other thing is with these movies that are all fairly green screeny you just you don't need to do that you don't need to half beat a woman until she gives you the performance you need because you're gonna just 95% of what's going to be on the screen in that scene anyway is going to be fake. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, no. I mean, Stanley Kubrick is a genius, but probably also an asshole. I mean... Yeah. No, he's, he's yeah, sociopathic, I, I think. I mean, seems to be. And there's um, a real question of, is The Shining an amazing movie? Well, yeah, of course. Did he need to do that to Shelley right. Duvall to get that amazing performance out of her? Probably well, not. Well, not only that, but you have Jack Nicholson, and he's not winding Nicholson up because Nicholson doesn't need winding up. So why do you need to torture her when you've got Jack Nicholson, who's perfectly happy to torture her? So she was getting the one that's reported yeah. is that she was getting tortured, you know, emotionally tortured by Kubrick. But can you imagine the piling on that Nicholson would be doing in that situation? Unless I'm misjudging Nicholson somehow. Well, we don't know how he treated her outside of filming scenes no obviously in the scenes themselves he's right. a psychopath uh I, i'm not heard, no, sure I've that heard jack, jack nicholson is like one of these this. super like method guys who's got to be in character all the time you know no there are a lot of actors a who, jack nicholson might. is just yeah oh yeah he's like a he's like a bro from like the old generation man he's a total you know like ladies man but not the not the best qualities of of one well so here's my Jack Nicholson thing that annoyed me. So you remember a few years ago when the Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane did the Oscars? Mm-hmm. A lot of people came down on him for making a lot of sexist jokes, for making a lot of jokes about boobs and things like that, to which I thought, did any of you watch Family watch Guy? Show. You, yeah, exactly. You, what the hell did you think he was going to do? Yeah. That's beside the point. He took a lot of shit, some of it rightfully so, some of it I thought was maybe a little bit piling on. But then Jack Nicholson comes on to introduce the, I think, maybe leading actress in a leading role. And he starts going off on this incoherent rant about how he doesn't know how to talk about 
ringlets and rouge and makeup and hairstyles. And then that's his segue into introducing Michelle Obama. He brings on the first lady of the United States, and his reason for doing so is because as a woman, she would know more about makeup and, and hairstyles and shit like that. And that to me was as sexist and misogynist a comment or worse than anything Seth MacFarlane said or did. Uh, and he got away with it because he's Jack fucking Nicholson. Yeah. Casey Affleck. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. I don't know how we got on that tangent. We always end up on that tangent. We <laughs> Men in movies. Jesus Christ, man. All right, what else you got for us? And we'll, uh, we'll wrap this baby up. I, I think that's pretty much all okay, I got. So now I have, I'm just I, mad at Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Jack so. Nicholson's a dick. <laughs> all right, so I have the biggest, because uh, we were talking about this earlier, comedy drop-offs from the original to the sequel. Now, this is Rotten Tomatoes, yep. so it's somewhat subjective, and I handpicked ones that it was a dramatic drop, and they're like famous good comedies that dropped. Okay. I've got about 10 to 12, only about six really matter. I'm curious if you guess any of these. So these are all movies that scored 80% or higher, often much higher, but were very popular and did well. Okay. And the second movies had a big drop off in terms of um, review. Um, uh, so it might be 40 points, it might be 60 points, sure. it might be 90 points. It's a big drop between the first and I think it's all first and second. Yeah. Yep. Can I take a couple of guesses? And there's, you can also guess a couple where the score went up or stayed super high. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I can't speak to some of the older comedies, but a two that I would not be surprised if that happened was Anchorman and Anchorman 2 or Bad Santa and Badder Santa. Um, or Analyze you, This and Analyze That. I don't have any uh, – Anchorman I have. What do you think was the trend between Anchorman 1 and Anchorman 2? Down by – Quite a bit. Then you will be surprised to know that Anchorman outscored Anchorman Two outscored Anchorman seventy-five to sixty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's right, people. Rotten Tomatoes has Anchorman at sixty-six percent. We are not using Rotten Tomatoes as the metric score to decide who <laughs> buys Batman and Superman. I agree. I have defended that fucking website for too long, but there is no possible way you could tell me that anchorman 2 was better than anchorman 1 no but that's the thing the <laughs> they can't change the score it was like star wars uh, all reviewers have had their newspapers like retroactively have them see part of the reason they released the special editions other than for 80 percent of that was just to make lucas money 10 percent right. was to get people excited about the prequels but also to give all the major reviewers a chance to re-review the original movies and give all of them three and a half or four stars. Because if you look at the original reviews for Star Wars, not very good across the board. Huh. And so I think the Anchorman 2 score was inflated big time by, you know, uh, buyer's remorse. Um, although some critics really did like the sequel and thought it was very funny. but uh, They're wrong. That's, this might be, man, the perfect example of... The gap between, not between you know between regular serious film goers like ourselves and critics, right? I Every mean, critic who I know would all categorically agree Anchorman is superior to Anchorman Two. I've never met one who could argue anything differently. 
Right, but remember, Rotten Tomatoes is, is, is an aggregate. It's a thumbs up, thumbs down. So right. what I'm interested in is, um, let's see. Wow. In 200 reviews in 2004, the average rating for Anchorman was a 6.3 out of 10. Huh. Although it should be noted that the audience score is, quote-unquote, only 86%. And I've experienced this as well. I actually did not used to love Anchorman until I met friends who loved Anchorman and I started to love it. But they're definitely, it's not as universally beloved as, you know, like Get Out. (laughs) 86% is still really good. And I do find it interesting that the audience score for Rotten Tomatoes, because I had to go to the site to verify you weren't bullshitting me. The audience score for Anchorman 2 is 52%. So mm-hmm. at least regular people knew a little better. Um, yeah. And and I uh, I just have to plug this because I was um, thinking maybe uh, doing like writing a short piece about this. But the, 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 the Warcraft jump in this area between critics and people, I think, is over 50%. I think it's the biggest jump up I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like close to 50%. That was way more reviled than either of the Anchorman movies. Anchorman Two was not very good. I don't. I'm not sure where that all that love's coming from. So that is the you you nailed the the outlier right right uh, right away. I will say there are a couple you know PG movies in here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one that went from 100 percent to 100 percent, and this is the only time this has ever happened. You probably know this. Don't Two, overthink it. They're both comedies. They're it's a family comedy. The family, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Toy Story One and Toy Story oh, Two. Okay, I can buy that. Yep, and I believe Toy Story Three is also a hundred, although I didn't look that up, or it's close to it. Um. Okay, so can you guess? There are one. Let's see, two sports movies, classic sports comedy movies. Major League One and Two. Eighty-two to five. Major League Two has a five percent. Let me tell you, people, Major League Two is pretty lousy. It, when I saw that when I was a kid, I was laughing my ass off. I've never rewatched it. I remember thinking it was so funny. The second one or the first one? The, well, the first one, one is the one with all the cursing, and it's got Wesley Snipes. No, the first one's way better. I'm just saying yeah. when, when I saw Major League Two in the theater because Major League came out before I was born, or like you know, I saw Major League Two in the theater. And I thought this was very funny. First one's much that better. might be the only franchise I can think of where the third is comedy wise is actually better than the second. Like Back to the Miners is a very different movie than Major League. It's not cursing all the time. It's family. It's a family friendly movie. Mm-hmm. But I saw that as a teenager, and I I laughed at times. Major League Two, I, the f- first time I saw it, even when I was younger and didn't have as discerning of taste, I was like. This is so much worse than the original. I don't think I was allowed to watch the original when Major League Two came out. I watched it on HBO or something. Oh, okay. Because you said your parents were tight with that stuff. Yeah, no, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying my childhood reaction when I was, you know, 11 or whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. Major League is clearly a great sports movie. Uh, Major League Two is clearly not. Um, The other one that's even more or about as dramatic is Caddyshack. Yeah. Here, this is amazing. What do you think the critics gave Caddyshack one? It's an Ivan Reitman movie. All those movies. I'm gonna guess. I don't know. Eighty-eight percent, maybe seventy-five. Yeah, I, I could actually see that. Seventy-five. His movies were so. 
like that kind of filmmaking, that's what hipster would be now. I mean, it was so oh, interesting. hip and so flippant with yeah, all the Chevy Chase stuff, Stripes, even Ghostbusters. Okay. Um, you know, I'm looking at well, would the original put, Ghostbusters was yeah. got a 97, so people did love that. Well, but. the the other comparable one, so Caddyshack was a 75, Caddyshack was a two, was a four. Yeah. Um, Air, the original Airplane's at yeah. 97%. Airplane 2, the sequel, 42%. Both cases of nobody made the sequel that had, except a, like one actor, had anything to do with the original. Like, Chevy Chase isn't in uh, Caddyshack 2. Rodney Dangerfield is not in Caddyshack 2. The guy who plays Judge Snails is not in Caddyshack 2. I don't believe Ivan Reitman... Uh, or Harold Ramis had anything to do with the screenplay. And the Zucker brothers and had nothing to do with Airplane 2. They did get the guy who plays the pilot to come back, and I think the, um, the control tower guy is back. But again, the creative team had nothing to do with the sequel. You know my dad is actually mentioned in the first Airplane movie? Do tell. So... The Zucker brothers grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they were really good friends with my dad when he when they were kids. Huh. And he actually had a chance to go out to Hollywood with them around the time they were making Kentucky Fried Movie and really trying to break into the scene. And he was at Wisconsin Med School at the time, and they told him, you can go, but we can't guarantee your spot. He didn't wind up going. Um in uh, Airplane, when Leslie Nielsen keeps saying, stop calling me Shirley, my dad's mom was named Shirley, and I have always wondered if that wasn't a joke. But in Airplane, in the hospital flashback, he if you listen to the PA system, somebody is saying, Dr. Goisman, paging Dr. Goisman no. to the emergency room. I, I swear to God. That's I amazing. Swear, I will defend that story to my Dude, death. So there, you, there needs to be a movie made about that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> They got to go wow. to the world premiere of, I think, Top Secret, the the movie the Zuckers did with Val Kilmer. That's not very good, mm-hmm. um, but you know they they got like there was some fanfare about that. So yeah, mm-hmm. they they know the Zuckers. Uh, they're mm-hmm. good friends with them and uh, Jim Abraham, who was the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those guys had nothing to do with Airplane Two. Airplane is one of my favorite movies. I I know most of those lines by heart. Uh, Airplane Two. Uh, I'm not even sure I could tell you a joke from it, except William Shatner's in it, so that's nice. So a couple um, comedies, classic comedies, whose sequels were rated much lower, but among fans are quite popular. Mm-hmm. The obvious one is Back to the Future Part 2, Okay, um, which a lot of Back to the Future fans love, but that's not my franchise. Yeah. I, I think it's as cheesy as the as the critics think, but most people think it's funny and, and endearing. But part two, that is. <clears throat> I happen to love I the Western. Super... Yeah, I like the Western stuff just because I... Back to the Future Part 2 just struck me as the exact same as Back to the Future Part 1. I mean, they just go back to the same place, and it's all stuff they're doing interspersed with the scenes from Back to the Future Part 1. At least in Part 3, they go somewhere else. Um, That's a good point. But I never had a real big connection to Back to the Future. Um, there was a cartoon I, think, yeah. I liked as a kid, but yeah. the movies I thought the first one's good. But yeah, yeah. Also, you, you have to keep in mind Michael J. Fox as like a mm-hmm. mega celebrity was slightly above our generation. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he was almost too big of a star by the time you and I were old enough to know what that was going on. Right. You know? Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess was also two yeah. when the first movie came out. So that yeah. whole franchise, yeah. I basically was experiencing through through aftermarket, through right. you know HBO and video. I didn't see any of this in the theaters, so the real original energy of the franchise missed me. Absolutely. Didn't affect my love of Ghostbusters, which I've never seen any of those movies in the theaters, and I fucking yeah. love Ghostbusters. But I, I, I do agree, though, that the first Back to the Future is like. Filmically pretty flawless. Oh yeah, well, Robert Zemeckis is a good it. filmmaker. Very good filmmaker. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the one, and then Men in Black Two, which I don't even remember, but apparently some people like, was a huge drop from Men in Black One, ninety two to thirty nine. It was pretty pretty forgettable. Um. And, uh, yeah, I guess the, the most consistent, I mean, you can't get it any more good and consistent than this. 21 Jump Street, 85%. <laughs> 22 Jump Street, 85%. Yeah, a lot of people have said 22 Jump Street is one of the only uh, sequels that might actually be funnier than the original. It's damn um, funny. It's damn funny. I, I like the premise of the original more, you know, and so right. it's, it's they go they go like Anchorman two style in the second one, like over the top with celebrity appearances and stuff. But it just is, works better because it's hilarious. In fact, the the closing credits, or maybe before the closing cre- the credits, were all is ten minutes of them doing literally fifty different versions previews from like 50 different alternate universes of 22 jump street it'd be 23 jump street 24 jump street you know and like mm-hmm. one they would be like you know video game characters and another right. one like they would be black you know and like another one they're chicks another one they're Seth Rogen has been recast in one and then the next is like yeah. you look different what are you yeah. talking about what contract negotiations <laughs> it was really funny um yeah what culture had a great list uh a couple days ago about 10 actors or 10 movies who changed the way you looked at certain actors and they had uh Channing Tatum for 21 Jump Street which I thought was 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 apropos like he's actually a pretty awesome dude but no one no guy especially would have said that 10 years ago until he did 21 Jump Street comedy man <laughs> it's so hard by the way speaking of that crew Michael Sarah secretly dated Aubrey Plaza for like two years huh which I thought was interesting. And she said... Uh, he's quote, either yeah. older or she's younger than I would think because... No, she's older than you think. No, okay. They're the same age, I think. I, it's just very just hard for me to star. think of Michael Sarah as not a 16-year-old kid. Like, the only thing I can well, think of... That's why he doesn't have a career. Right. Yeah. It's just, you know, Arrested Development or Superbad, yeah. where he was probably, you know... 25 but he still looked like a kid yeah, or and, scott pilgrim where he looks like a kid yeah. or juno where he plays a high school kid i mean or um uh the mixtape movie with uh cat dennings um matt nick and nora's uh oh yeah infinite playlist infinite playlist which was an adorable movie but i love cat okay. dennings um 
And she actually got a little bit of a, a darker side out of him. And I think that he has that. You know, he he famously mocks himself, and this is the end. But, like, he's in Seth Rogen's apartment. It's the end of the world. And he's Michael Sarah's doing lines off the butt cracks of oh, yeah. strippers and stuff <laughs> like that. And then, um, then they talk about, like, you know, if it comes down to it, like, who's going to rape Emma Watson? And Emma Watson comes out with a fire axe. and like, the shit out of them. Yeah, threatens to kill all of them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh man those guys but anyway so uh yeah so michael sarah and aubrey plaza and she said she said something like he's just my kind of little freak or something like that like i think she's pretty freaky deaky as you would think from her but she embraces yeah. it cool um good for her so random question based on that what would you like to see in a, a legion season two now that you've had time to digest it Oh, I stopped thinking about Legion once uh, it went off the air. I know, uh, so throwing a little bit of curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I want I just to, like to sit see... Stuff for a while. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't you think don't they need to be predictions. To These are not... By the, this is non-prediction zone, BizzleCast listeners. This is just... This is just... I want to see funny character interaction still be the driving force. And, you know, I want to see... More Jermaine Clement, you know, I think the fact that the Flight show, the, the first season ends with him being infested by the the uh, Shadow King means he is going to be a main character. So I want to see more of him being funny and weird. I hope we get to have another scene of him being weird at Bill Irwin and Bill Irwin being just as weird right back at him because that conversation is maybe the funniest moment in the whole show. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I I want to see more really super bizarre, semi nonsensical visuals, and I want to still be scared. You know, I I don't like horror. I don't only want horror in my life, but that's the amount of horror that I want from time to time. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yep. And this is actually going to lead to my actual final question, which was planned, and this just tied in better than I thought. Okay. Which is American Gods is coming, and they've already screened the first episode. I saw that. And it's getting a very Legion-y type feedback, which is great news for the show, less good news for the Bizzle. <laughs> <laughs> more, I just don't know if I could take more psychedelic mindfuck shit, because I've read at least some of the book a while ago, but it, when you're reading, it's just not the same. I don't know. I got the. I couldn't find it, so I got the Kindle edition on sale. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna reread it. I think that'll help. I think. I don't think American Gods is going to be as deliberately confusing, or at least not as deliberately confusing in the same way. I think it is certainly going to feel like a world that you don't understand, because Shadow doesn't understand the world he is in for a long time. I mean, it's a good, I want to say a hundred pages or so into the book before he really starts to understand Hmm. who Mr. Wednesday is, what is actually going on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, you need a a protagonist to have stuff explained to him because then the, that's how the audience learns what's going on. Absolutely. Um, And if there's, it's not necessarily a flaw because it's a deliberate choice, but if there's a deliberate choice Legion made that doesn't work, 
it doesn't quite have that just character to be the audience proxy. Yes. And in American Gods, Shadow is the audience proxy character. Right. He's a character in his own right. Yes. But he's he's also a classic audience proxy character. But and I hope they portray it as such. You know, with Legion, it was always about we're in your head. This is what's maybe going on in your head, not going on in your head. That's not how it's, you know, presented for the most part, American Gods. And while there is a psychological element, I just want it to feel different. That's that's really my main thing. And by the way, I do want it to be purposefully weird, but I want it to be purposeful towards plot and character development, which I'm not saying wouldn't happen in Legion. But the plot part was, I, you know, lost me with Legion because yeah. I, I don't know where this is going. And so I can't invest. Um, but knowing American right. Gods is an amazing book by Neil Gaiman <laughs> helps like a thousand fold um but anyways that the the initial reception to the um the the first episode of the show was really 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 strong yeah my hunch is that if it's going to be closer to anything that i've seen recently it's going to be preacher um which mm. also screened its first episode at south by southwest got a huge positive reaction from the south by southwest crowd both are a preacher, the first season doesn't do this, but the second season is going to be it where it's a road trip. It's them traveling around the country. I think American Gods, there's going to be a road trip feel to it as well. Bizarre world, strange visuals, weird sense of humor. I don't know what the show is going to be like. The trailers doesn't look like Preacher's sense of humor. But in terms of the kind of just funny, weird, what the fuck, a little confusing really clearly laid out world that we're not being given all the info about just yet. I think there's probably going to be some similarities between them. So if you can find preacher, if it's available on Netflix, you might want to give that a look maybe a little bit just to see what you think. Cause I'm, I'm betting when all is said and done, American gods is going to be more like preacher than Legion. Yeah, I mean, the the quotes from the press at, at South by Southwest, top-notch cast and eye candy visuals, all in, uh, real deal, very faithful to the book, uh, good update to modern times, blah, 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 blah. All um, things that were said about the Preacher pilot, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but this is a this is a more well-known property, I think. Um, For sure. Yeah. More well-known property, less well-known creative team. I mean, Seth Rogen created Preacher. Yeah. Uh, so that that was sort of the big deal with that is who was doing it. Yep. Um, By the way, according to this very recent article from the UK Telegraph, the Star Trek show is happening. Yes. Brian Fuller is working on it, and yes. you know they're distributing it on Netflix everywhere else. But we have to pay for a stupid other service. Yes. Um, methinks his priorities w- was American Gods, but uh. We will have to see about that. Um, I think it's going to be great. I, 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 you know, I, I think I've got the movie audience down pretty well. I'm not always right with my predictions, obviously, but like I can understand the trends. TV trends, I have no. This will be my final thought. I'll let you have a final thought. I have no way of predicting TV trends. I mean, if you had told me three years ago the, the, the concept and execution of Legion, I'd be like, no, no way that works. But FX was also not a big presence three or five years ago as much as it is now. 
Um, so a lot of things have changed, right? So, I mean, how do you, how do you sort through it? Because you are a TV watcher and you are looking through these shows more than me, it's fair to say, the new ones that come out that maybe I haven't heard of, like, what, are you looking for anything in particular or you just sort of start at properties like this that you know, or you're familiar with and kind of go from there? That's where I start. And then I pick things up as it's presented to me. You know, my friends like the crown. So I checked out the crown not being sure what I would think, but I wound up really liking it probably for some of the same visual reasons as I like Downton Abbey, but it's also a very well made, well acted, well executed show. Very compelling. It did have a nerd actor, you know, in Matt Smith. So that helped sell it a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, I read sites whose job it is, is to keep abreast of all of the shows that fall under this general, area of what we're talking about of sci-fi shows of fantasy of comic books of adaptations of weird stuff like american gods um you know and then i look at reviews and you know i put stock in critics because these are people whose whole life is devoted to understanding the craft of you know making these kind of things so in the same way that I would trust a plumber to tell me my pipes are clogged versus some random guy on the street, I would trust a critic to know more about whether or not a TV show or a movie is good than some random guy on the street. Um, so, you know, I put stock in the people whose opinions I trust. Uh, and obviously there is some stuff I'm missing and there's some stuff I can't commit to. Uh, and there's some stuff that I'll probably never watch. Like I don't ever see myself watching the X-Files just because I, I, I just can't. Uh, Wait, is X-Files so, still on? No, but oh. I could find it. I'm sure I could find oh, it very yeah. easily. I'm not talking about But I, I don't want to put, put yeah. I, that's, I can't take that on. I, you know. Yeah. And some stuff I do tune out on, you know. I, I gave Standalone Complex a really good chance, and I just, it lost me after about five episodes, and I really have not felt a lot of interest in trying to go back to it. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, maybe, you know, watching it semi-high senior year with Adam Tuck it, it was a different experience than watching it solo, <laughs> sober, many years later. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, you have certain genre of properties that you connect with that I don't, and, and right. vice versa. We know that. That's fine. Um, you know, I tend to really like cyberpunk and, like, you know, philosophically weird shit. Um, right. You tend to like more straight-ahead stuff. Um, yes. not, 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 not smart stuff. Cause you love Star Trek and stuff like that, but more, just more straight ahead in terms of, th- you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, which yeah, is actually, why usually yeah. when I recommend something to you, it's not cause I think the plot is what you'll like. It's because your, your preferences, like I recommended orphan black because oh, right. it was a science fiction show with a very charismatic young female lead showing off a wide range of acting chops, which is why I'm recommending iZombie, because I don't think you'll care about the zombie stuff, but you might like Rose McIver's performance enough to want to keep watching. Yes. Um, you, thank God, introduced me to Orphan Black, but Matt, right. you undersold Tatiana Maslany criminally. Yeah, because I don't like to use hyperbole when I can avoid it. Well, um, but with part, her, it's I don't wanna, deserved. I mean, well, yeah, she, but this is the best this is the best female acting role of our generation i, I think it's certainly up there uh, for for her um, of our, i'm sorry our age is what i'm saying it's certainly up there I, I i always 
feel like basic psychology says that the greater you tell somebody something is, there is going to be an increasingly loud voice in their brain that just to be different and prove you wrong will under will make the experience lousier. So if I say you might like it, then you are going to go into it even keeled and then your experience is just going to be whatever it is. If I say it's amazing, you'll love it. If you don't immediately love it, then you will start to hate it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are like that. I am definitely like that. I have been told some franchises are amazing and then I watch it. And because it isn't that, I really tune out on it entirely. Um, but that's fine. I mean, that's, yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I bad. like I'm that you and I can psychology. just, yeah, but I like that you and I can sample things that we discover right. that other people show us that we show each other and we're just not in after a certain while. We just let it go, you know? If I say it's amazing, it's because I think it's amazing. I think right. Ghost in the Shell property is amazing, and if you don't that, think so, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, if you don't think so, that's totally great. You know, um, but I'm I'm not going to dumb it down because I'm worried about your enthusiasm level. Uh, that's funny that you say that because I have had a couple of people contact me out of the blue and just in the last year and mm-hmm. be like. I really trust your opinion. I need a show right now. Like it can be anything, and I always right. respond Orphan Black immediately. As soon as if I say do you sure. have Amazon, I immediately say Orphan Black, and and they say is it good? And I say I try and I say try say like I think you're gonna love it or something. Yeah, you know, like I think you're gonna love it, but I'm not gonna say you'll like it. You're either gonna love it or you're not gonna feel it. Right? It's it's a love it or right. not love it show. You can't go. I say this about Battlestar. How many people will have watched the first like four or five, six episodes and not watched the rest of the series or stopped? Like one of the two, right? I mean, right. you're five, six episodes into Battlestar, especially after the miniseries. You're either hooked at that point or you're like, this ain't for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think those happen to be the shows I like. I, I tend to like shows that are divisive, you know? Um, or just people don't just don't see stuff in it. And I, but I think we're at a point where there's so many properties that <laughs> those shows, like, I, I mean, Legion is an excellent show, but that show could never have succeeded 10, 20 years ago. There wouldn't have been an outlet for it. I'm not sure there would have been an audience for it, you know? Yeah. And so it is making the marketplaces of shows very difficult to navigate because there's so much. But yes. I guess if you can just train yourself. Um, and then for me, though, the big test is, you know, it's funny for me, opposite movie and TV. Movie, I want to see it opening night because I don't want any spoilers from anybody, right? right. I want to I see it immediately so I can report on it, especially mm-hmm. movies that I know I'm going to like and that are big and the spoilers are going to get out. I, it, there was no way I wasn't seeing the first Rogue One showing in North America. You know what right. I mean? TV, I usually let it simmer. And my mm-hmm. dad, for like six to eight months, has been saying, that Night Manager is like one of the greatest short runs of television ever. Right. And Hiddleston, uh, Hugh Laurie, and Olivia Coleman all won a bazillion awards, including all getting Golden Globes for their performance in it. Mm-hmm. I like the subject matter, and I loved Hiddleston, and I just kept putting it off. It was an AMC show, too. I love AMC. Oh, I would love... Would you cool... Uh, let's, um, blah, blah, blah. We'll close on Saul. Oh, sure. We can yeah. do that. So um, just um, really quickly, um, so I, this was one that I put in my back pocket for a long time. I'm like, I'm going to watch this. It's on Amazon. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. When I got nothing else to watch. Right. And so, so I sort of purposefully backed myself into a corner where I had to watch it, and I binged all six hours at once. I sat down at like 8 o'clock, and at like 2.30 with some short breaks, 
I'd watch all six hours of the night manager because that's just what okay. I do. That's just my thing. Cool. And what I realized is I really like the short format, but it seems like now, you know, the short format is the way to go for most channels or 10 at the most, because then they, it's like a semi pilot season. Like if Legion didn't do great, then they would still would have had eight cool episodes that did. Okay. Right. But mm-hmm. now they're turning it into a longer thing, which used to be the premium model. Now they're doing it on like the designer network right. stations or whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, and I just wonder, we'll save the topic for another time. I wonder, even though Flash is getting two, three, four, five times the ratings of some of these other shows on sci fi and stuff, um, they're having to put 26 episodes together a year. Um, and so I'm wondering if the money is actually as big as you think because. If you have two ten uh, episode halves of seasons, or you know Game of Thrones, where what were that like a ten month schedule for a while, or was it just a one year? I think it was always one year. Yeah, that's what I always thought was cool with the Harry Potter movies that they just decided on an eighteen month schedule. So you mm-hmm. like you either had Harry Potter in the middle of the summer or in the middle of the winter. Uh, well, that's know. what Marvel Cinematic Universe has done, where basically. Right. It's, you know, uh, an April or May release and then a July release and then a November release. And then they just do that. You know, they make those three time slots, you know, for the last five years, basically. Um, So, yeah. So just quick plug. If you've only seen Tom Hiddleston as Loki and you don't know that he can be like a straight ahead, but super smart, almost James Bond level good guy but with a lot of emotional depth who's just charming as hell and you're really rooting for the whole time, even though he's complex, he can pull it off. (laughs) Tom Hiddleston is that good. You know, he won the equivalent of the Tonys in England like years ago. That that guy is ridiculous. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's got a very dramatic style to his line delivery. Yeah, but this uh, character is the opposite of Loki. He's very quiet. I mean, his job requires him to be. He's very quiet. He's very uh, uh, inward. You know, he's he's in his head a lot. Uh, man mm-hmm. of few words. Um, he's uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's the night manager. He's of a hotel in Egypt during the revolution in 2011. He was a former soldier and. Uh, uh, this woman who's married to one of the people in the regime who's getting displaced is murdered um, because she's threatening to, uh, you know, tell on them. And they have a link to an English super arms dealer um, mm-hmm. played by Hugh Laurie. And so a few years later, when um, Olivia Coleman at, at the MI6 is been spending 10 years trying to bring down Hugh Laurie, um, Richard Roper, funnily enough, his name, uh, before we knew Richard Roper, the reviewer, um, that Richard Roper, she could not bring him down. And so she had she sought out his help because she knew that he had tried to get involved positively when he came across some information in 2011. So she tracks him down in 2014 in this, like, he moved into the middle of the Alps to get away from it, but still be a night manager at another hotel. And Richard Roper shows up and is just, it's a very inglorious bastard scene where you know that I know that you know that I know kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's, and that's what, what fuels Hiddleston's motivations to use his his you know army training and basically go undercover become this guy's trusted friend and semi lover to his wife and you know a friend for his kid and like it's it's really it's sort of a mixture of like the godfather and a talented mr ripley it actually is very similar to ripley in that 
Uh, have you seen that movie? Uh, I it's uh, Matt with Damon. Matt Damon. I so he I pretends don't really know to be a rich. It. He pretends to be a rich. Uh, he's a nobody. He pretends to be a rich Princeton classmate of Jude Law, and then becomes this like leech and virus on Jude Law. But Jude Law loves him or convinces himself that he loves him, and it starts destroying everyone around them. Um, and some people completely buy him, like Gwyneth Paltrow initially buys him and then gets suspicious. Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's another rich douche that they hang out with, doesn't buy him for a minute. And spoiler alert, he ends up having to kill Philip Seymour Hoffman because Philip Seymour Hoffman's going to expose who he really is. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but it's really just excellent filmmaking. Not a lot of crazy camera work. They just let the actors act. The just if you've seen the Constant Gardener, it's very similar in Lacare channeling real world issues that make sense. Um, even more than like Homeland and shows like, like this is what Homeland wishes it could be a little bit. <laughs> I think. Um, I mean, it's just not the format. It's chosen. It's chosen to be less subtle, uh, but. Uh, it's uh, it's great, and you th- there's a lot of talk about weapons, but like the fifth episode, you actually go to these camps where the arms dealers work in like southeast Turkey, and like see them just bomb the shit out of village with like live ordinance <laughs> to <laughs> prove their point. And uh, by then, Hiddleston's totally ensconced and and you know becoming a trusted ally, and it's very good. And Olivia Coleman, if you know her from Broadchurch or you know a lot of other productions. Excellent, excellent English actor. Check it out. It was an AMC BBC production. It's now on Amazon Prime. And I'm throwing it to you. We're going to end on Saul. So Saul is – to call it a prequel to Breaking Bad is the wrong word because it is about a side character who is comic relief on on Breaking Bad. I mean Saul Goodman – is just there to make jokes and he occasionally has dramatic moments, but mostly he's just there to be silly and buffoonish. And while his character on better call Saul definitely is that way. And you can kind of see him leaning that way. Bob Odenkirk's portrayal of a character who on the show doesn't go by Saul Goodman yet. He calls himself, he goes by his real name, which is Jimmy Jimmy McGill. Yeah. Jimmy McGill. Um, and then it's there's hilarious. a joke in the first there's a joke in the first season where he is basically running a scam on a guy and he's pretending to be drunk and the guy says what's your name and he goes Saul. So he goes Saul, yeah. Saul good, man. So that's where he comes uh, up with it. So so he tested it out before he chose it. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess that's the origin story for why he picked Saul Goodman. Um, Bob Odenkirk tells this funny story that when they pitched him on the original character when Vince Gilligan yeah when Vince Gilligan did I guess he said you know I'm not Jewish there are a lot of really good Jewish actors who I think could do a better job than this and whoever was pitching him on the role said no no you don't understand Saul Goodman is a name he came up with for professional reasons his real name is Jimmy McGill and he's Irish and then Bob (laughs) Odenkirk was like okay now I'm interested in this character yeah um so the show is very the show is very nihilistically funny. Mm-hmm. It is also very um it's very very slow in a way that even when Breaking Bad was slow-ish the tension in any given Breaking Bad episode made it feel like it was going really fast even when it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. This is a really slow show where a lot of it is about legal maneuvering related to old folks homes Mm -hmm. and 
you know, there is Mike Ehrmantraut, the, uh, you know, Gus's bodyguard is one of the main characters on the show. And while he's kind of badass, because you know what happens to Mike and how he dies, yeah, this is your whole bad, thing with prequels. You you, do, yeah. you you can't handle prequels because you 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 can't get you are so concerned about the final result, and that's why I love Rogue One, and that's why you'll never love Rogue One for that exact reason you're talking about right now. Well, hang on. One, I commended Rogue One for having the guts to kill everybody. No, no, no. I'm talking like, about the fact that it's a prequel in the in the true sense. You know what's coming afterwards. You know what's happening both to these characters right. in the wider universe. So right. why revisit it? You're okay. I am not crazy about Mike's character on Better Call Saul because I know what's going to happen with him, and he is basically the exact same guy in Better Call Saul that he is on Breaking Bad. He's not a different yeah. person. Yeah. Um, he's maybe he's a, a little bit less down this super dark road, yeah. but he's basically the same guy. I am very curious to see what will finally break Jimmy McGill and create oh, Saul. So you're Goodman. just saying there's not a lot of character distance for 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 Mike. For Mike, yeah. For for yeah. Saul or Jimmy, you know the character that he is. One, Jimmy is a showman. He likes to you know, put on a song and dance, but he doesn't strike me as completely amoral in a way no, that he's not, you know, Jimmy McGill would have extreme reluctance to take on a, a meth dealer as a client. Whereas when Saul figures out who Walter White is, he looks at him as a cash grab. He basically, when they first meet in that classroom says, I love that I know who you are because now you're my client and I can bill you. You know, mm-hmm. he is much, much more morally bankrupt in Breaking Bad than he is in Better Call Saul. Yes. And I'm really curious to see what is going to take him down this very dark road that he doesn't feel doomed to walk quite yet. So there is something still to come for him right. that is going to be so traumatic that I think he's ultimately going to go to the cleaner guy who can set you up with a new identity, right. probably through Gus, who is coming on the show this season, and that is going to create Saul Goodman. So the fall of Jimmy McGill is interesting to me. The status quo maintenance of Mike Ehrmantraut is not interesting to me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think... It also me- has Michael McKean, who is just so much fun. I, yeah. I, Michael McKean is such a good a- character actor. I, I like having him on TV. Yeah. Um, what, what I love about um, Michael McKean so, of uh, Spinal Tap and a lot of right. the uh, the um, oh, what the hell is that filmmaker's name? Yeah, I know. What you Spinal mean. Tap, Best in Show, yeah, all yeah, of those yeah, movies. Jonathan something. Jonathan, anyway. Jonathan, yeah. Um, Saul always gave the impression. Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest. Saul always gave the impression of being a little discombobulated and a little all over the place and even being more clever than smart, if that makes sense. But yes, I what I liked about his character on Breaking Bad was that I think he was actually smarter than he was letting on. And he truly enjoyed the challenge of what he was doing. I mean, he wore shitty suits. He didn't drive a fancy car. He didn't live in a big house. He had mountains of money. But we right. never really see Saul spending it. I mean, he's trying to save pennies every which way he goes, right? Yeah. 
guys like that, they are in it for the challenge. It's like Ben Affleck and the accountant. Like he, that's just how he gets off, you know, washing, uh, cleaning books for, you know, super deep mafia guys. It's challenging work, you know, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I remember when I watched uh, the beginning of A Better Call Saul, he seemed more moral and less smart than I had remembered him. But maybe that's part of the progression. Well, and that actually does make more sense in the context of Better Call Saul because when the show begins, he works by himself in this – basically he rents a back closet behind a right. – it's like a Korean nail salon or, or, yeah. or, a, or a something. And he it's this tiny room with no clients. It's a really pathetic life. It's a shitty apartment. I think half the time he sleeps on the shitty couch in his crappy office. Mm. And last season, he does briefly get the opportunity to work for a really fancy law firm that has a a furnished company apartment and a, 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 a company car that's like a luxury car. And basically because Hogarth? he's not allowed to – what? Hogarth? <laughs> Hogarth's uh, firm? If you want to think it that way, sure. I mean, these are really expensive clientele with probably six. Right, that was digits. a very loose Jessica Jones connection reference. Right, right, it, was, right. it was way too far apart. But mind. think super high end law firm where the signing bonus is like more than a lot of people will make in a year. Uh, you know, he gets the opportunity because he does good work to go there on a partner track. And because he's not allowed to be himself and be this kind of showman character. He basically gets himself fired intentionally, and then he sort of goes back to the shitty office for a while, and then he he kind of, by breaking the law, by committing a felony, basically is able to steal a major client and, and thus afford an upgrade. But I think this sense of where he started as a lawyer and kind of his own background, it makes sense why he'd be a penny pincher who'd be afraid to spend any money or live at all extravagantly, even after achieving some success, um, you know, which is where he's kind of his place on Breaking Bad. Yeah. So I like the show. Mm -hmm. If you are wanting the same experience as Breaking Bad, you are not going to get it. You're not going to get, you know, guys strangling each other with bike locks or blowing up each other up with homemade mustard gas or, or fulminated mercury bombs or beating each other to death on crank. I mean, the sheer badassery that Breaking Bad was pretty much from the pilot to the final episode, mm-hmm. that's not what this show is going for and it's not what you're going to get. So if you want that, you're just rewatch Breaking Bad or find something else. Mm-hmm. Um, this is much it's goofier but in a very nihilistic way i break breaking bad is probably a little nihilistic too um Mm. but this is just the sheer absurdity of it um and the idea that nothing is sacred and maybe nothing matters i don't necessarily think that was the attitude of breaking bad and it feels like the attitude here Mm. so if you like that or could like that then you might like better call saul Mm mm-hmm Right, so, you know, the hard part with prequels like this, hard prequels, where it's not only set in the same universe, but one of the main characters, um, can write yourself into a corner, but it seems like they've been able to avoid that so far. 
Uh, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what's harder. I don't know if the, this model is harder, where you are not only in the same universe, but it's very sort of chronologically close with a lot of the same characters, or the sort of, you know, Alien Covenant, uh, Rogue One model, where it's earlier in the timeline, but you have totally different characters. Than, right. the, than the originals. I, I can see ups and downs for both. It's just there's a creation, of, a difficulty of creation standpoint, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think with anything like that, the question is, do you have a real reason why you're telling this story that takes place before a story you already know the end to? Mm-hmm. And I, I think there was a reason why they wanted to tell the Rogue One story, and I thought they, they told it effectively enough. I... I still liked Rogue One, I, or at least I liked the second half of it. Right, I just, I'm just talking conceptually. I mean, you can even think right. about Prometheus or the new Alien movie is another example. Well, that's the thing is Prometheus didn't feel like it had a point as to why they made this sort of pseudo-alien prequel. And it looks like maybe Alien Covenant is Ridley Scott trying to answer that question of why did you make Prometheus in the first place? Yeah. You know, why did you was a prequel bother? to a prequel. That's the thing. Or something. Yeah. I, it's like a spinoff to the prequel. I, it's going to end up being known as the prequel to Alien Covenant, which is the prequel to the original movie. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, you know. Yeah. I wish I had the balls to see Alien Covenant in the theater. I don't. I got tiny, tiny tear balls. I, I no might way. check it. That, you know. No, if it's I good, I want to go. I will do get poisoned ahead of time either way on like Wonder Woman reviews. I'm going to try to see it opening weekend with minimal yeah. awareness of kind I mean, of how I it's saw, been reacted to. I think I, I'm going to yeah. like – I'm not going to deny myself reading reviews of Alien Covenant. I'm going to watch – see what CBR has to say. I'm going to watch what Movie Bob and my friends at Spoiler Piece have to say and then make a, an educated decision if I think it's worth my time or not. Yeah. All right, man. Um, any shows or movies this week we should be aware of? Well, I think next week oh, we I are probably – well, there's a couple of things that are starting up this week. We are filming this. Uh, it's now just after Sunday, midnight Sunday, uh, April 16th. Doctor Who had its season premiere yesterday. I didn't get a chance to watch it. We will probably they talk about it, it briefly next place. week. Uh, and then we have Fargo starting up this week, uh, which should be yeah. – bizarre and funny and weird like fargo always is and i can't wait i I think it's got ewan mcgregor playing two people i mean how do you not want to watch ewan mcgregor play two people yeah i uh i watched the first episode the first uh tenant um doctor who episode the christmas invasion no not the the one after the christmas invasion oh first the first regular one yeah where they go into the future and they're cat yeah. people and yeah. uh, I uh, it's just not head. my vibe. I love Tenet, but the pacing and the, it just the look is so weird. I just it's just not my thing. Okay, I mean he's considered the best other than Tom Baker. Yeah, I mean, he's, I, but it's cartoonish. No, am I missing yes, something? It, yes, it is. I, it's okay. a show for kids. I mean, the people okay. who make it. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I, I've talked to Did you see George British Lucas? I'm sorry. I thought of you immediately. Yesterday, celebration. George Lucas said, "Quote: I always considered Star Wars to be movies for twelve-year-olds." Unquote. <laughs> well, that's good because certainly that's what Return of the Jedi was. Because it's a fucking to quote um, the thick of it with Peter Capaldi. It's the planet of the space teddy bears. Uh, no, that's I, the movie you're gonna pick on. You're gonna pick on Jedi seriously with all those I, horrible I can pick prequels. Pick on other stuff too. Come on, the Ewoks are just. 
They're teddy bears. Whatever. But they serve a purpose and for the for character development. Sure, they still don't have to be teddy bears. Um. Anyway, I like it. It's practical I'm not picking effects, on baby. the Ewoks. I'm not picking on the Jedi on Return of the Jedi. It's fine. Whatever. I, I don't get offended when people make fun of the Ewoks. I just don't understand it. I mean, no, that's me. That's not true. I understand on the surface that a bunch of small people walking in teddy bear costumes seems ridiculous, but to me, it's appealing and it, it, it gets character work done with all the probably major because you watched them when you were a kid and it spoke to you. Look, no, but we you all see have the way spot how- properties and. Uh, whatever I, i'm just if you can justify something this goes back to the special effects thing if you can justify something in my world that leads to important plot or character things then i will go along with it yes am i colored by youth absolutely but i still see I, stuff today you know i mean if i sure. was cynical i wouldn't be able to watch supergirl you know i mean oh, if totally. i was super cynical well i mean if you're super that's why it has a and- 65% on imdb yeah i superheroes don't hold up to a cynical mind. They are, you know, people wearing brightly colored suits with dumb names and weird weapons and yeah. insane by, you know, none of that stuff works if you're not willing to suspend your disbelief and probably put yourself back in the headspace of being a little kid who liked running around with a red towel on your back, pretending you were Superman or Supergirl. If you were a girl or if you were a boy pretending to be Supergirl, which I would imagine now there probably are some, um, probably were some too back then anyway speaking of which and then we really should close this up um i i continue to buy stock in the wonder woman movie however i'm selling long-term stock in wonder woman sheerly because of her involvement in justice league it's not her fault i i mean i never have been as down when was the last time we had an action here like that seriously daphne keen a month ago yeah that was pretty sick (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh that was uh, i'm sorry Th- that was what i was trying to accuse you of somewhat before was your reaction to logan like your third thing you said you're like it was really good daft keen was awesome but now i don't really care anything that happens in the x universe because i see how it wraps up and that's the thing i can't understand but you watch better call saul so you don't really have a problem with it that's why i stopped it because i was I stopped at midway because I was like, no, like it's just case by case with you when it comes yes, to pre- prequel if they stuff. Could I mean, you watch Gotham for God's sakes. I mean, come on, you admit a little true, inconsistency in your taste. I don't know how the story is going to end. I mean, I watch Gotham out of morbid uh, masochistic joy, um, and because occasionally it has a moment or two that's kind of fun. No, I can we I can't... do an episode of commentary for Gotham? It could be sure. any episode. Gotham is my guilty pleasure show. I mean, it's without a doubt, it's the one I can justify liking the least. It has the least to say good about itself, without a doubt. I look if there could be a young X story that would justify why they're making it when we know how the the mutant story is going to end. I would be down with that. Better Call Saul has given me a reason to be for its own existence, which is I want to see this downfall of this man named Jimmy McGill into this character or caricature of Saul Goodman. If you can give me a good story that's, you know, a young ex movie could tell, I'll watch it and I'll enjoy it. But from just the general mission of the X-Men, which is to save the mutants from whoever Logan establishes that they completely fail in their mission and most of them die trying. And so, yeah, I don't want to watch them try to save more mutants when they're young, knowing all the mutants are going to die later. It's just a story. 
Who cares? Well, yeah. It takes place in a million different universes in the comic books. Why can't that be the case in the movie? Who fuck? I that's a, it just doesn't bother me. If you can tell the story and make to. it awesome, then then do it. It bothers me. It doesn't have to bother you. That's fine. Hmm. Okay. Well, that that this is yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, the, the I don't know. I don't want open you invitation what you want me to, to say. I mean. No, no, I just, yeah, it's it's just not consistent, that's all, it's, it's I fine. I think it is consistent, I yeah. I think there is more merit to a prequel to a side character on Breaking Bad made the way this show is made that's doing something really different than making a really good end story for the X-Men and then going back to making the same kind of X-movies they've been making this whole time. I know. I think it's, Better I Call think, Saul is yeah. different. Is there is a much different style and tone and approach to Better Call Saul versus Breaking Bad than any of these X Men movies versus? Well, no, Logan is a different kind of movie, but in terms of plot and in terms of justification, why should these other X stories exist? What? Why are they going to exist? What? Well, why does anything exist? Well, if we, if we, well, if, if time you, is, no, seriously. Socrates? Well, no, I mean, that's what you're saying. Like, why does, and if all of our, if, if our whole life is determined, which it probably is from a physics standpoint, then why does it matter? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know? It's all about telling the stories, you know? I, I just, I, I think you're, you're, if you can open your imagination enough to have a better call Saul series, then, you know, that, that, that really just proves that you can do it for anything as long as the sure. story is good. Make an I just X-Men think you don't you just don't like the property, you know? And the fact that you specifically like Legion because it's not like the property, you know, just proves the point, you know. Well, I think you were happy when you, they heard that there was very little comic book researcher involvement going on with it, you know. Well, yeah, because it struck me as courageous and 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 But if it was Superman or Batman or, or something, you would be annoyed by it if it was a DC property, the way I'm annoyed I, I, by it. I don't think that's true if it was as well done. I said that I've said that exact same thing in one of the other podcasts. I I'm not sure where what I'm trying to say. I mean, if you can I think for me the problem I've always had with the X movies is that they are not X-Men-y enough and not not X-Men-y enough. They are not, you know, that those first two movies those don't feel like the X characters that I know from the from the li- you know, but those were the first exposure. modern comic book movies. They were doing so much. I agree with you, but it's unfair to put it. X two was the first modern comic. But book I movie. think the whole franchise has never found stable ground because of that. That they are not. They're too dissimilar from the comics to feel like really honest adaptations. You know, the costumes are wrong. Cyclops, who has always been my favorite character, has been just completely cock blocked the whole time. Or, you know, or he's just been completely pointless. All the good stories have been butchered, like Phoenix and some of the other ones, and Apocalypse. Have I been agree done with everything completely. you're saying. I absolutely agree with it. But but they don't have enough courage to just completely abandon it and do something like Legion that is barely an X thing. They're you know, doing they, it. What do you mean they don't have the courage? They fucking did well, it. It's their property. Mangold, well, Mangold did it. Mangold made a Western post-apocalyptic... I, I, I don't know what you want to call it that has a well Legion. Yeah. But Legion has nothing to do with the X universe. It's not, it's its own thing. 
I, I'm fine with taking the X property and adapting it in some interesting way. I just yeah, don't. I think, think we're saying the same thing. I'm just saying have mutant stuff happen in the present day that's not necessarily the same universe as the Wolverine movies. I don't know why that's so bizarre because it's happening in the oh comics that I'm constantly fine all with, the time. But yeah. That I'm fine with. If they want to reboot the franchise or just do something else or Weird give it enough. to a different company to make the movies and then it's just new X stuff, sure. I will I mean, totally give that a re- chance. People don't. I think Logan it's a has ruined. Days of Future Past. I think Logan has ruined the or made it irrelevant to make any more movies in the Brian Singer X universe. That's what I am saying. I'm saying He's there's. Gone, so that doesn't matter. Well, he's making Aftershock. He's so, making the new one. So you're saying that they just need to just fire everybody that has anything to do with or has been in any movie before involving Brian Singer. That sounds like a purge. I think they could. I think they could do very well to start over. I think I like Logan the new X Men crew for the most part. They screwed up with a horrible script. I mean, the new team is not bad. There's a few weak links, but Ty Sheridan as young Cyclops could actually be cool. He had more cool lines in that movie than Cyclops had in the first two movies, which isn't a, a big... That's not saying much. Point. I've had more cool lines than... Yeah. Uh, I, dude, I, I agree with all your things, but my solution isn't shut down the franchise, which is, well, you know, like, I think let's crea- just stop. I think let's create a new X-Men franchise that has more to do with the actual comics than Singer ever wanted to do, and let's have Logan be the end of the Singer... Uh, X movies. I think that franchise has completely run its course and run out of gas. I don't have any confidence in Aftershock uh, or the TV show tie-in thing that they're kind of making. So I'm fine with more mutant stuff, but I think why not have Logan, which is probably the best X thing that they've done, except maybe Deadpool, be it. And you can keep the Deadpool universe going because that doesn't have to have anything to do with the X no, movies it, anyway. No, both of those things are happening. It's done in the way it was, but X-Force is happening with Deadpool and Cable. I mean, X, rated we'll X-Men see. is if happening. That starts, until I find, hear that a script is done or that it started principal photography, I am not going to believe an X-Force movie is coming. They scrapped Gambit, and Psylocke went over really poorly. Wait, what she do you mean really, X-Force movie? Psylocke? X-23, Lara is Psylocke. Oh, Psylocke, sorry, I'm thinking of X-23. Um, yeah, you don't need Psylocke, though, because you'll have X, you'll have future version of X, grown-up version of X-23. And Cable, Deadpool, you only need one other person. It's not that hard. Okay, so you would do an X-Force movie set in the aftermath of Logan. Yes. Well, okay. it doesn't matter, because Cable can time jump, so Fine. It, it could be okay. in the 40th century, but yes, that would make the most sense, yeah. Okay, that I'd be willing to throw down Cable is going to time jump Deadpool like 10 years past Logan events or something and meet up sure. with slightly older X23 and maybe some other people. That's Even what though I really want to see more Daphne Keene kicking ass. Well, but maybe, maybe they'll give us a, a Murph thing where like the first act will be her and then we'll have older version like Jessica Chastain was, you know, maybe. that kind of thing. That could be cool. I agree. But what do you, that you, you I would spin be off a kid's to give a movie? shot to that. I would not write off. I just, I don't want to see, you know, they're saying aftershock is going to be set in the nineties. And it's more of the singer story. I, oh yeah, that I think I'm they're just with. trying to—they're just trying to keep it in the public's consciousness long enough to get X Force fully booted. Is my theory, or they're going to sell it to Marvel? I mean, they made more money between Logan and Deadpool in a year. They made a combined like one point three, one point four. 
between Deadpool and Wolverine. So for the the same budget as Avengers, split between those two movies, they made the same amount of money. They made Avengers money on Deadpool plus Wolverine. Pretty I, uh, impressive. Yeah, for sure. Funny uh, Deadpool joke. So Screen yeah. Junkies has started doing this thing on its second channel where it does roasts of like Harry Potter or Rick Grimes. The first one they did was the roast of Captain America. And the only clip that's available for free is Bucky Barnes's roast. And he's pointing out all the people who are on the dais, which is like Henry Cavill. It's obviously all fake people, you know, pretend actors, but it's supposed to be Cavill's yeah. Superman and Scarlett Johansson's widow and the red skull and a yeah. bunch of others. And Bucky looks out at them. He says, look at this dais of idiots. No wonder Deadpool outgrossed all of us. <laughs> His other maybe best joke is Batman, uh, Superman, or, or no, it's something like Batman. I know Suicide Squad was supposed to be funny, but I think I laughed more during 12 Years a Slave. The Red Skull doesn't get that joke. He thought 12 Years a Slave was the funniest movie of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> movie picture. Um, all right, man. Well, I'm not going to lie. About 15 minutes ago, I basically wanted to get us to the three-hour mark just to say fuck it. So we're about there. All right, cool. So we can uh, wrap it up. We're getting I think we little, should. It's pretty late and I'm pretty tired. Right, but we need something really weird and random at th- the three-hour mark. The Deadpool quotes were pretty good. Um, hmm. I, I, I mean, I don't try to get ask weird. Ask me anything. Ask me, just ask me a crazy question. I, it's 2 a.m., man. I've been up <laughs> since 8 the previous day. I, I am out of crazy questions. I, yes, uh, we just hit the three-hour mark. Sorry, I was just stringing, what, stringing you what? along. What? What just is the weirdest thing. superhero story that you would like to see someday adapted? Like you've asked me like what my okay. pipe dream comic book adaptation would be. You mean like my deep dark that. fantasy or like intellectual? Or something. However you want to okay. answer that question. Um, That's all I got. I'm basically turning the uh, the track wheel on my mouse up and down just so the screen keeps I mean, moving. this is Keep not exciting open. and it's a too late now, but I want the Famke Jensen Dark Phoenix Saga. That's what oh. I want. I want them. See, to- I'd want that too, but I want like the Shi'ar and fucking the real Phoenix, like the the galaxy destroying monster. Yeah, that's Phoenix. what I'm saying. Yeah, her doing yeah the, the the Scarlet Witch routine or whatever. Right. But but Famke Jensen doing it. She was the perfect Jean Grey. I don't know what they were thinking. They completely screwed that up. But completely hypothetically, honestly, man, it's all been done at this point. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just finished the Black Panther, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates run. Right, which good. we're about to get. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm with with you. Actually, when it comes to comic book form, I'm hoping we start getting stuff more like Legion and even Trippier. Because in that form, it's fantastic. Um, okay. I wonder if it'll spawn any of those. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to think about that. Um, you, when you we re- do our comic book tease, I may be able to teach you a little bit about some of the more like alternate like indie comics out there that you might like that are kind of on the weirder side. Well, I know uh, about Spider Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, Transmet, I tell you about for sure. Uh, Sandman. I mean, this isn't particularly weird, but there's a graphic novel by Jeff Smith called Bone, which mm-hmm. is just a fantasy series basically, but really, really funny, very Tolkien esque. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that oh, would work better yeah. as a cartoon than uh, than yeah. a TV show or a movie. I also, in my ideal world, 
they would make the Gambit project with Channing Tatum. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and he would be rated R, as I've been saying, and end up on X-Force. I mean, you put Gambit with Cable and Deadpool, holy shit. The, okay. uh, the, those, those guys would absolutely hate his guts. I mean, it would just be just, just emasculating joke after emasculating joke from Deadpool towards, uh, towards Gambit. I'm interested to see the, the interplay between Ryan Reynolds, um, and Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin certainly has the look for Cable, no doubt about it. I mm-hmm. mean, you need that scruff that just doesn't go away, you know, that scruffy look. I wonder how they'll play it. I mean, he's going to really dig into Cable. But, you know, he's a sexual thing for him though, in the comics, too. So, And um, Cable, as I understand, has always been the straight man to Deadpool's yes. comic. Yeah. And Josh Brolin tends to play straight ahead characters who can who can be funny at times i mean his character in uh, llewellyn moss and no country says a few funny funny things but most of the time yeah. he is the straight man you know he plays young uh tommy lee jones in men in black three he yeah. in um true grit he is not the funny bad guy cowboy yeah and by the way if they can pull off uh cable uh, Deadpool, uh, you know, Gambit or someone like that somehow, and Daphne Keen still being Daphne Keen would be amazing. Maybe they should just wait three, four years. You know, I mean, that, that yeah, I, I, I could totally, I could totally see that working. The other thing with Cable is, um, and then I will really let you go. Is he is? Do you remember the the, the episode where Jessica Jones is is in Kilgrave's home and? experiments with trying to get Kilgrave to work for the good side. Yeah. By taking him to a house where this guy's like, yeah, his family. It's like his family kidnapped or something. Yeah. 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 Right. She ultimately decides rightly that that's a bad idea and is going to end badly, but -hmm. you can tell where she's coming from. That's sort of how cable works. Deadpool. Um, now the movie's going to be from Deadpool's perspective, so it might not be the same, but cable is trying to harness his incredible talents for good. Ultimately, um, and, and keep him on the moral side of amoral, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, the one thing that could save Deadpool from having a big drop-off is a great Josh Brolin performance, but I don't have enough of a handle on him as an actor. So we yeah, will have to either. see. Um, so when's Gotham coming back? That's what I want to know. Oh. Uh, Ways away. <laughs> is it no, it's sometime. No, it's sometime in... Um, april so and when the cw be, shows come back because we need uh them. that is uh like the last week in april like april 25th 26th 24th mm-hmm. right around then okay. um all right well since congratulations on the three hour mark i'm gonna let you hang up on air all right and it's coming back april 24th so all those shows are back yeah. we're gonna have one more week of scrambling a little bit and then we're gonna start getting our shows back we're just sharpening our claws right now with these little spats that we're having on the podcast, people. Just wait. The big guns are coming out in the next couple months. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, uh, we'll let you go. Say bye to the Bizzlecast listeners and go off to sleep. Bye to the Bizzlecast listeners and go off to sleep. All right. See you later, Matt. There you have it, folks. I don't know if he actually hung up yet, but that was the podcast. Um, this is our second three-hour podcast, of course, the first one being the BVS. Uh, I was not lying to Matt. I, in fact, 
<laughs> when we got to the 245 mark, I was like, fuck it, let's go three hours. I hope you enjoyed it. We, we hashed out some, some stuff that was sort of bubbling below the surface. Uh, we just, you know, we, we've talked about this uh, outside of here, but we'll, we'll say it right up front, that we just have different tastes when it comes to a lot of stuff. I mean, even though we like similar genres, we have different tastes. I mean, you know, his preference of Force Awakens and mine of Rogue One is just is the perfect example. Um, Battlestar and Breaking Bad, I think, are the two shows we agree on. So more of that next week. Thank you so much, BizzleCast listeners, and we are out.